Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, featuring Her Dark Materials and the Dark Materials podcast covering the secret commonwealth. I am your only host, I guess, today. It's very naked to say. Chloe, you know me. You guys know me. Liza Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, LizaNarborGold.com. And I am joined today by some wonderful people. I have Faye from Her Dark Materials. You guys might know Her Dark Materials from some of their coverage of Northern Lights. They are a bi-weekly chapter-by-chapter podcast hosted by Rachel and Faye. And they have recently covered Chapter 8 of Northern Lights, Frustration, and had an excellent interview with Lauren Balfe, the brilliant guy that makes us all go, doo-doo, doo-doo, for the past, you know, few months. <laughs> so we're really excited to have Faye on. We're sad Rachel couldn't join. However, Rachel is pulling an Eliana and has not quite gotten through yet. No shame there. Hi. Well, please, uh, Faye, tell us some more about Her Dark Materials and what you guys are working on. I know you newly have a Patreon. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of good content coming from you guys so far this year. Yeah, thank you for the intro. I mean, I think you covered quite a lot, so thank you so much. Um, Yeah, so yeah, we're Her Dark Materials. We're still quite new. Uh, We only started in October, but as you mentioned, we're on chapter eight of Northern Lights at the minute. We are a chapter-by-chapter read-along, and we're spoiler-free. So for all you guys who haven't read the books, don't you worry, we're with you. Um, We look at the the books from more of a feminist lens, being two feminists ourselves. Um, So you'll normally hear, you know, a bit of shouting when there's a a bit of the patriarchy coming through. (laughs) Um, But yes, we have um, some stuff coming up. Um, We've got a couple of uh, book club episodes, which we're going to start soon, where we're interviewing like a couple of our friends about um, the books in general. So keep an eye out for those. And as you mentioned, we've just started a Patreon in the last couple of months. So that is uh, patreon.com forward slash HDMPod. And there's lots of stuff up on there. So uh, Rach, who you mentioned, sadly can't join us. She's an excellent artist and she um, she did our logo and she draws episode art for us every week. So that's available, and then we've got a couple of Q&A videos and some bloopers and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, feel free to come along and join us on that journey. That's so great. Eliana is the big artist for us. I do all of our album art for the actual episodes that come out, but she does glorious pieces, a bunch of our patrons, which if you are getting this right now, uh, first release of this will be happening for patrons by end of February, so I'm glad you guys are listening. Thank you so much for pledging, but we are releasing this to the public on March 6th, so also thank you for socializing your Girls Gone Canon experience and uh, sharing it with everybody. I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say, but we have tons of art, so it's really exciting. Please check out that Patreon and see that art because you guys have some awesome branding. I love your little logo. Rach is the expert behind all that stuff. I'm ki- Rach kind of sends me stuff and she's like, Faye, do you like this? And immediately I'm like, yep, <laughs> wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. But yeah, one of our um, Patreon levels actually is that um, if you pledge at a certain level, Rach will draw you and your demon in the style of the pod logo. So that's that's a lot of fun. And I kind of just watch her do it because I have no input whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> You're the moral support. Yeah. That's good, though. That's good. You need the moral support. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the moral support today, mm-hmm. right? In the secret commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And the lack of it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just saying. <laughs> oh, man. I feel it already. The, the battle dome is going to happen. The thunder dome. Step on in. 
No, they're both <laughs> idiots right now. Uh, well, thank you again, Faye, for joining us. And we will definitely link everything below in the description of the episode. So if you want to check them out, you can click ahead. And we also are being joined by Ian and Amy from the Dark Materials podcast, who just put out, actually, I think just yesterday, chapter 14 of Northern Lights, Bulvanger Lights. Uh, and they have a few bonus episodes on the HBO BBC production. And also have a great pre-Commonwealth episode where Amy has a glorious display of a whole new world and they berate people in power on climate change. We stand. Amy and Ian, hello. Thank you guys for joining us as well. It's like a full house. We usually, uh, usually it's just by our lonesome. So this is good. Thanks for having us. Hello. I was trying really hard not to giggle through all of your intros there because that was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you for having us. We're so excited. Um, yes, yeah, so as, as again, you gave an excellent intro, so we don't have much to add, but basically we are also um, a chapter-by-chapter read-through podcast of uh, Historic Materials. So at the moment we're just finishing part two of Northern Lights or the Golden Compass, which Ooh. is exciting. I'm so um, glad. We can maybe come on to some of that, but <laughs> oh, I need a bit more action and the chapters we've just got through are know, slightly slower, but we're getting there. We're getting back to Yurik and the gang. So yeah, very excited. We are. We are. Um, you mentioned our uh, bonus episode on predictions about the Secret Commonwealth, which is kind of entertaining to listen back to now because... We, we weren't entirely wrong, nor were we entirely right, but there's some quite outlandish yeah. predictions about what we thought was going to happen in this book. Um, so yeah, we also have a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash... Dark Material Podcast. Dark Material Podcast. <laughs> Good. Yes. <laughs> you guys did it. I always... You got it. That was a joint effort. <laughs> I always forget if it's there or not. Anyway. Um... And we've actually been doing a bit on there about our extra reading list. Um, so, for instance, what other books we've read uh, that remind us of his dark materials world or were inspired or inspirations for that world. Um, I'm interested to know, actually, if, if you other guys have um, have anything else that you've read that you think reminds you of Pullman's works. Uh, so I know um, you have the podcast about the works of George R. R. Martin. I don't know if that's something that influences or... Uh, dovetails there a lot. Once you've read any of the Historic Materials books or the Books of Dust, it's really hard not to relate them. And our second Subtle Knife episode is coming out covering chapters three and four. I think it's going to be out by the time this is up, actually. I'm not sure. Eliana's in charge of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's a wild card, that Eliana. We just don't know. Is she ever going to come back? No one knows. (laughs) (laughs) Faye, batter up. Uh, But I do... (laughs) I do uh, see a lot of a lot of the mythos. I mean, I I just went and saw a portrait of a lady on fire actually this week. Have any of you seen it? No, I haven't. No, no. no. <sighs> so good, mm. so good. I highly recommend it. I didn't even know I would love it. It's about these two women who fall in love, and it's just gorgeous. And about paintings and uh, a household buying feel for sure. Mm. But they talk about it's anchored. The framework is anchored in Orpheus and the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. And the whole time I got halfway through, and of course, I'm a ball bag. I was sobbing at the theater. I'm the worst. Uh, and I'm just like sitting there quietly sobbing during this whole movie for about two hours. It was fun for me. <laughs> and it was just so beautiful. But they went through the story and talked about some stuff that I want to bring up later. But there's a lot of that mythos that really ingrained even just the easy tragedy mm. that is so, so strong in this. And I'm seeing mm. it everywhere I look, whether it's actual influences by him um, and influences in general, like... Chitagaze's uh, architecture mm-hmm. and being based off of Antonio Centelia 
Uh, I totally missed that until this reread of Subtle Knife where we're sitting here going, oh, Angelica asks her in the Subtle Knife, you know, do you, do you go to Santalia or do you go to, are you from Chitigaze? And I'm like, oh, duh, it's a Santalia oh. reference. That's the whole point of this whole city and its futurism. <laughs> How did I miss that? <laughs> so it, I'm seeing a lot more of that, cool. but I have been reading things like we do, I just read Dune, for example, and I saw some stuff where I'm like, hmm, interesting, interesting, uh, some philosophical stuff. So I think there's a lot. What have you guys been reading that are similar? Um, we read a really scary uh, ghost story over Christmas that's set on Svalbard, um, which is like very, very tangentially similar, but it was, yeah, that was like very powerful, I think. Um, and there's also quite an interesting book called um, Wakenhurst or Wackenhurst, Wackenhurst yeah. um, by Michelle Paver, which is about a murder at the beginning of the 19th, uh, sorry, beginning of the 20th century. Um in East Anglia, right on the edge of the fens. And it has so much stuff that is referred to in his dark materials, purely incidentally, because it's from the same like cultural background. Mm. Um, but I guess of it, a lot of it is folkloric um, traditions. And it, that was just like really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, think I it's, yeah. it's one of the things like, Faye, uh, your introduction to, to your podcast, um, having a kind of feminist spin, I think ours is probably, well, at the moment, it's mostly historical and maybe mythological. We try and pull in references and extra reading on some of the stuff that's I don't know let's say twists on the real world that Pullman brings into his um and we're yet to get there but science is another one mm. that I'm really keen to weave in so as we get more into um the amber spyglass in particular and the yeah. ev evolutionary biology that's maybe uh, a spin that the dark material podcast tries to take on these books we go down many a tangent and uh, sidebar um <laughs> Yeah, so some of these other references, like Wackenhurst, we try and build in as kind of a, how do we bring out the richness that Pullman puts into his worlds and, and help other people or listeners explore that. Yeah. Speaking of tangents, we somehow managed to add one into our introduction, so sorry about that. But <laughs> 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 on brand, so. No, that's perfect. It's very on brand. We do the same. Don't don't feel bad. Sometimes we include the time. We're like, if you really want to skip it, though, we think it's important. <laughs> we do. We do. I do want to say, I, I've been doing, I think that's the thing about this, right? Like, we do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the His Dark Materials podcasts, we all have to do quite a bit of research. We can observe, but there's just some stuff, uh, no matter what culture or background you're from, reading these books that you can take from it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, new research, new things. Pullman's really packed so much into here, whether it's folklore. I, I can't. I can't count the number of books now that I've read on folklore just because of this, you know? Amy, you asked the question of what kind of books do um, you think are quite similar? Mm -hmm. And for me, I always hark back to the Harry Potter books. Um, I read yes. them at a very similar... Well, obviously, I didn't read the, um, the His Dark Materials books until last year, but obviously they kind of came out around the same time um, and I was a massive Harry Potter fan. So whenever Rach and I are talking about His Dark Materials... I always find a way to like link it back to Harry Potter. We have a thing on our podcast where we like play a drinking game with the listeners. And whenever I mention Harry Potter, you've got a drink because I will mention it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was just going to say they have like um, the parallels, like orphaned child, like with a prophecy. Mm -hmm. um, it, they definitely do um, relate, I think. But also I kind of wish that I'd read his dark materials as a child because I would I would have much preferred as much as I love Harry Potter I would have much preferred for the protagonist to be a girl um so it's nice mm -hmm. to read his dark materials and have Lyra um so I kind of I, I always feel a bit sad that I didn't have that one when they first came out when I was young mm -hmm. yeah 
Uh, there's a character in A Song of Ice and Fire that has a lot of that little girl fiery uh, quality of the Lyra. It's Arya Stark. And mm. that's one constantly. I'll see a few parallels here and there of her. Uh, but it, it's interesting following that children as a hero's journey. A Song of Ice and Fire has a bunch of kids hero journey kind mm. of stories going on. And I see that a lot. And Harry Potter has that too, obviously. And even in The Secret Commonwealth, you get a lot of that bittersweet of the last Harry Potter book, right? Of uh, not... Harry's not returning to Hogwarts. Lyra can't stay in Jordan anymore. Yeah. It's that feeling of the hero never being able to return home. It's that feeling of growing up in adulthood. And I know Pullman obviously has said, well, you know, it's not really youth fiction. Uh, it's just that's what the publishers told me to call it. That's what would sell. Because it really isn't. It's dark. Uh, this book, especially The Secret Commonwealth, gets you feeling pretty dark. It's adulthood, right? Like this is the specters from The Subtle Knife only turned up 10 times. Empty, shellless, depressed, you know, the normal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. One, one of the other books, but I know Pullman has talked about the Lord of the Rings trilogy um, in quite damning terms. I think he basically says it's uh, full of a world and no characters. That's me making that up. It's not a quote, but yeah. that basically seems to be his, his summary, that none of the characters in Lord of the Rings have any emotional depth or um, it's hard to have any empathy because they never show any emotion. But... Lord of the Rings is, uh, for me, quite similar. It's this huge, expansive world with a bunch of historical backdrops that you sense is there, but obviously Pullman doesn't really explore in any great depth. It's more like a, a backdrop. Um, so yeah, obviously very popular series, but uh, I think Lord of the Rings is similar-ish, even though Pullman's not particularly uh, yeah, full of praise for it. Yeah, I mean, there's no way you finish The Amber Spyglass without tears in your eyes for the last yeah. like, five chapters, yeah. right? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> there's not a dry eye in that room we can't lie about that <laughs> on here uh, everybody has had the same experience so it's not really like it should be shameful we've all cried to the amber spyglass and that's he puts the heart into it and while there are a lot of decisions maybe I don't agree with that we're going to talk about uh, he does seem to have a way to find that heart and uh, absolutely this is very much his burning of the shire for Lyra right mm. <clears throat> this is uh, what we're going to talk about today is that I suppose just with more heart but before we get over there you guys, I want to have a quick chat about a question we got uh, before we go into our initial thoughts about The Secret Commonwealth from one of our followers, TFCNU, on Twitter, who asked, Why does there seem to be destiny when Lyra was supposed to have ended destiny in the Amber Spyglass? Is Pullman retconning the witch's prophecy to apply to the new trilogy instead? Poor Lyra, right? <laughs> like, she went through <laughs> a, a, like, an entire like horrendous journey when she was 12 and now she's going through another one and it's like oh can't that kid just be done and enjoy her life <laughs> 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 um and like this <laughs> this might be me um because i finished uh, reading the secret commonwealth literally the, the day before we were recording this um and i have i don't have a great memory um but for me, it became clear that there's another prophecy for Lyra right at the end of the Secret Commonwealth. Mm. And it kind of felt to me, I don't know, I feel like it's not made clear in the, in especially the Belle Sauvage or the beginning of the Secret Commonwealth. And I was just a bit like, does she need to have another one? Like, it doesn't need to be a destiny. Like, it can just be a story without it being a prophecy. I mean, I don't know what you guys think about that. That might be just me being very negative. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. I haven't. This is an excellent question, by the way, as well. Um, I haven't. I haven't really thought about it that much, but yeah, I think you might be right, Faye, in that 
it doesn't really feel like it's very consistent with with what we were thought to um, know at the end of Amber Spyglass. But also, there didn't seem to have been any repercussions in terms of what happened at the end of the the third the third book of the previous trilogy. Nothing seems to have changed really, and that's the thing that I find kind of disconcerting. So maybe it is that kind of um, similar to when we thought that Lyra sort of taking Roger to Lord Asriel was the betrayal. And then it was like, oh no, it's actually um, Lyra leaving Pan in the World of the Dead that there was a big big betrayal. It, well, I wonder if it's that kind of thing when we think it's mm-hmm. her fulfilling her destiny sooner and actually it's still to come. So that's could, a really good idea, actually. Could also just be that there never was an end of destiny and that, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, we, we talked about this in one of our early episodes, can't remember when now, but... Um, how deterministic is Pullman's universe? And I guess if the people who got the prophecy that Lyra was going to end Destiny were simply wrong, well then, sure, there could be others and there could be others to follow. If it's a deterministic universe, it's a deterministic universe. Um, I don't know how you could get out of that. Does that make sense? If she was predetermined to do something, why would she not then be predetermined to do something after it? Um, Don't know. That's me being like, oh, overly logical. (laughs) Hey, I'll bring some Spock. But yeah, it, it, like if she, yeah, if she was always going to end Destiny in the first book, well then she was presumably predetermined to do something else. So really, she couldn't end Destiny because the universe Pullman's built is kind of mechanical and deterministic in the sense so that yeah, there can be a prophecy. There have to be further prophecies. Don't know. Mm. That feels like first year university philosophy that someone <laughs> will, I'm sure, tweet about and prove how I'm wrong. <laughs> but yeah, that, I don't know. That's my thought. <laughs> well, there's so much at play that feels like it's against that, right? Like Pullman literally has written this series of novels about free will, mm-hmm. right? But he's also saying this is prophesized, this is going to happen. So maybe it could be a play on prophecy. Uh, if Eliana were here, I'm sure she would have a speech. There's a certain prophecy in A Song of Ice and Fire that, you know, feels unnecessary when you get to the core of this character. This character does themselves in via tragedy, mm-hmm. like, way on their own. You didn't even need a prophecy for them to mm. do so. So sometimes prophecies feel as a plot device very much that, a plot device. You look at Harry Potter being born the same day as Neville Longbottom, so it could have been about either of them. It's all about mm-hmm. interpretation for prophecy. But also, if Pullman's preaching these novels about the fight and the war on free will, and wouldn't that really not equate a destiny? Like, wouldn't it mean that whatever Lyra does whether she saves the universe one more time, um, does it have to be a prophecy thing? Uh, it feels like the retcon is a little more likely mm-hmm. in this. It, this book kind of felt like a handful of retcons, and maybe it's Pullman exercising his gavel, being like, I'm the author, and you can't death of the <laughs> author me, and this is what I say. Like, haha, Lyra and Will kissed. Haha, <laughs> yeah. ha, that's what it was. Like, this is what I, you know, like, I want to clarify some things since I didn't do it 15 years ago. I don't know. I guess just like put it on the table, Pullman. You <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty good question. Though. Yeah. Now, now I'm thinking about it. One, one other thing. This is super speculative. Is um, when Seraphine Peckler brings up that Lyra will end destiny itself. She says if she fails, then everyone will be um, almost acting like automata, and will be more or less like it will be in this mechanical world that's full of logic and and rationale, and there won't be any kind of like spark in the world anymore mm-hmm. oh. and one of the things I um because I was rereading the book a bit via audiobook but I haven't finished it so my so my um memory of the last parts of the Secret Commonwealth is vague but one of the things I remember that Lyra 
says several times is that she feels like she's acting automatically. And you think about the books, which we're going to talk about them in a bit, but the books that Lyra is reading that Pan is so upset about her reading, uh, they come off with, what's that line? Uh, The logic that everything was what it was. Mm. And it's very logical and Pan's very mad about how logical and how Lyra's lost her imagination and he's off to get her imagination. I mean, that stifles Mm. dust, right? Yes. Maybe that's... That's something from the stem of it. That is stifling dust. I mean, it's very obvious we have a problem mm-hmm. with that. Hence the rose water we're going to launch into. Yeah. So mm-hmm. who knows? Good question. Well, let's jump into our initial thoughts now that we've already given half of them. Uh, I want to hear, Faye, Amy, Ian, what you guys thought the first time you read it. Were you just like, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. I'm quite an avid reader and... I, I'm never put off by how big a book is. Like, it, it excites me most of the time. But I did find myself trailing off a little bit with this book, especially, um, like, at the beginning and then into the middle parts. There's so many characters and so many new characters mm-hmm. that we have to learn about. And I, it's quite difficult to, to do that when you're also trying to follow the main storyline of, obviously, Lyra and Pam. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did find that very difficult. And also... <sighs> I am not keen, and we might want to put a content warning at the beginning of this because obviously we're going to talk about the sexual assault that happens. Um, I'm not a big fan of that being included in the series at all. Um, and it was in La Belle Sauvage too, but we obviously only really learn what happened properly to um, Mrs. Lonsdale in the, in the Secret Commonwealth. And then we have that horrible train scene, which I know we'll get into properly later, but personally, I'm just not a fan of anything to do with sexual assault being included in a book where I don't particularly think that it's needed. There could have been other ways to show that hardship on Lyra without that happening to her. So I did find that very jarring. And that's obviously very near the end Mm -hmm. of the book. Um, It's not my favourite of Pullman's. Um, I thought it was quite fragmented. There are definitely... I love the, the plot of Lyra and Pan being separated. I love that. It's heartbreaking, but I think it's... kind of ingenious from Pullman to bring Mm -hmm. that back because we don't we didn't really know how that affected Lyra and Pan in the original trilogy when she Mm -hmm. left him in the land of the dead so I do like that and I like seeing Lyra as a woman and Pan as like an older a demon and how their relationship's grown but I was like really hankering for them to like get back together at the end and we and we don't get that and I remember closing the book and being like oh we're so close but we don't get it and now we have to wait like years for the next book (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. It definitely feels like a a second book in a trilogy, (laughs) which is not usually my favourite in terms of there's a lot of stuff being introduced and I think I'm fairly confident that it's all going to be tied up, but I don't think it's going to be tied up neatly necessarily. Mm. I did like that there are a lot of big themes that are introduced and woven together. I don't know if if they're going to be um, tied up basically in, in, in in the third installment um i think i did i did really enjoy it but i think i I definitely like you Faye, found it quite difficult reading at times partly because um i was getting frustrated at characters that i really love and have grown to love and really like have grown to respect and want and wanted them to be doing well and so to be having all of this stuff happening was kind of like a bit difficult for me on a on that kind of level because i just kind of like oh just just talk to each other guys I mean just can we not just work this out so um I found parts of that quite frustrating it is quite a long book a lot of seemingly disjointed things happen 
but I'm still kind of confident that they're going to go yeah. somewhere. I don't know. Maybe it's- I think part of what helped me feel confident about that was reading Lyra's Oxford uh, either after or just before I read this book and seeing there's a in the back of that there's a little um, brochure for the SS Zenobia cruise that then has the appointment date um, and meeting in the cafe and Antalya or whatever it is um, so that was written like 10 years ago so to some extent some of this has been thought about or planned or mused upon for at least that long and therefore I have this kind of deep hope in my heart that it will go somewhere wonderful but I kind of need that conclusion to kind of see all of that through if that yeah. makes sense it's either going to be a tour de force of pulling together loose ends or just like a mess of carpet <laughs> uh, the third book I do want to say um I will contest in a little bit with you Amy we'll talk but I think he's been planning it since 97 Ooh. Oh, take yeah, that's cool. exciting <laughs> but we'll talk about that later because ian is going to tell us about some themes yeah well i don't know i'm kind of gonna agree a little bit with both uh Faye and amy so yeah hard to hard to follow the three main plot lines of pan lyra and malcolm at various points you're like oh I, do we really have to get off this track and go back to the other track now this feels weird and then you've got all the backdrop of delamere just kind of randomly narrator moving over to his world so it is hard to follow, and I don't know how much those three storylines were all necessary, uh, perhaps in the way it was told, rather than the detail or depth. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, anyway, we'll see. It could be that all of these things are pulled together and they're all relevant and necessary, but it was a harder read than the previous books, for sure. I really liked the cognitive dissonance of Pan and Lyra going mm-hmm. separate ways, in a sense. I think that's a lovely analogy for... Uh, growing up and um, maybe going through some more existential angst. Um, So yeah, using the demon analogy for humans again, but in a much richer and more complex way, I thought was really interesting. Sense of depression and um, yeah, just all all sorts of uh, psychological aspects that Pullman explores in this book with Pan going a different way to Lyra, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. So I don't know. Yes, I I enjoyed it, but it felt at times a bit random. I'm sure we'll cover it at some point, but the alchemist with the dude who sets on fire and then his water demon, just mm. what? Like <laughs> I, I I I listened I listened to the entire thing on an audio uh, on audiobooks. Um and yeah, I just found I must have drifted off for like 2 minutes and then came back in and thought, what is happening? <laughs> what is what is this? What am I reading? So yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it and I'm hopeful Maybe less optimistic than Amy. I'm hopeful that these uh, loose ends will be tied up together neatly. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was my favourite book. In fact, it's probably near the bottom of the pile for the Pullman uh, series so far. Not saying it's bad, but it was no Amber Spyglass. (laughs) Well, and after following La Belle Sauvage, like, I I was like, what? Yeah. What? (laughs) What Mm. is this? La Belle Sauvage was a banger. That was a slapper. Like, I got, once I was about... 70% 70% into La Belle Sauvage, I was like, all right, this is a book. Like, I'm in. I was scared. I was, like, on the edge of the bed or the seat. I was tapping my foot anxiously while I read. And then yeah. this happened, and it was a struggle. It was a slog at first. It was uh, mm. it was a little confusing, and I, I need to reread it. Like, I need to just delve into it. But I think because we're analyzing The Subtle Knife right now, it definitely has the second book of the trilogy feel. There's a lot in Subtle Knife that... It's weird that there's a couple connections I'm finding because both of those books, the first time I read Subtle Knife, I read through it like water, but 
uh, not like rose water, but like water. <laughs> uh, but it did have some moments that were kind of like, what? It, why is this happening? So I think he has a plan. I hope he has a plan. On the other hand, I also think he's flipping us off going, I'm doing what I want. It's my book. <laughs> <laughs> I had so many questions and I'm starting to make some dots from across all the books happen. But I guess another thing to think on is, should we think of these separately, haha, pun intended, uh, separately from the main novels? Because there's a lot of retcon back and forth of Lyra at age 18 was doing this, but also Lyra at Oxford when she was 15 was acting like this. And now she's 20 and she's like this. And do these really all count towards canon? Mm. 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 That's a question. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. A weird one, isn't it? It's always difficult when there's a book series that you've enjoyed and then another part of that story is then in your world. And it's difficult to think, oh, all these things that I loved from the first books might have a different meaning now. Mm-hmm. And I think that... I kind of go back and forth as to whether I enjoy that or not. I think sometimes I do if it's done in a clever way, but I think sometimes it can feel a bit shoehorned in and that's when I'm a bit like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I find jarring is potentially the style or the amount of focus as well. Because I was thinking about um, what you said about Harry Potter at the beginning, Faye, and those books, they get darker, but they have the same style all the way through. You know, there's, it's an element of detective story with some humour um, but the, the, the style is kind of similar in every book. It just gets a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. The Belle Sauvage and, um, Secret Commonwealth, it feels like he's taken a left turn <laughs> at some traffic lights and gone, I'm going to explore some like drug trip fantasy now. Whereas the first three books are yeah. much more, I don't know, sequential and logical and it's, it's more of a typical story. Whereas the last two that have come out feel yeah, they feel more like this sort of random exploration of fantasy and myth and strange worlds and um, inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. It's, it just felt very different to read, forgetting yeah. the content more stylistically. Mm. Yeah, I'm hoping... It's like he just like wanted out there. I'm hoping we can get to kind of relish that, though, and it will feel like... I think it's maybe reflecting the fact that his audience has grown up and therefore something a bit more challenging is okay. Um I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. In the third one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not closing the book. I mean, like, I'm still here, Pullman. I'm still listening, I guess. <laughs> but that's only because the other series is never happening for me. Like, you guys are all, now we have to wait a few years. And I'm like, listen, listen, you guys, about your waiting a few years for a book, okay? <laughs> I don't want to hear it. There's none of that on this podcast, okay? <laughs> I don't know. I won't close the book for sure. I will keep waiting, but there's definitely some questions I have, and I know we all have them. So let's get into it and start exploring some of these plots, mm-hmm. right? Right. So did you guys see the new Star Wars at all? Did anybody yes. see that? No. no, no not when yet. Oscar Isaacs looks, Oscar Isaacs has a moment where he looks at the camera and says, wow, the main villain, quote unquote, is back? Mm. Question mark. How did that happen? <laughs> And that's how I felt about the Magisterium, because you open the book, and the Magisterium's still here going strong, yes. <laughs> They're still here. They are. We have a quote from Marcus Delamere in the books where he says, it seems that she is under certain protections, legal and otherwise. I, on your Magisterium point, 
I have seen, and I'm sure you guys have too, a lot of anger on social media that kind of argues that the first books now don't mean anything because the whole point was fighting for the freedom from the magisterium. And I can see what they mean. I think it might be a little bit strong to say they don't mean anything, but Mm. it's kind of like you spent all these three books and this a long time with these books and then to come to these ones and then learn the secret commonwealth and then learn that it didn't help it's 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 a difficult one like for me I kind of have a bit of a love-hate relationship with that because I think it's more realistic that the magisterium would still be at large yeah I think that yeah if you think about the society that we all live in we we know it's difficult to to overthrow any oppressive society like that and I think it does make logical sense that they would still be a thing. Mm-hmm. But then the other part of me is like, oh, but I wanted it to be defeated because that's what that's what happens <laughs> in fiction and, and stories. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm kind of like on both sides of the fence with it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Faye. I'm also completely on the fence about, I want it to resol- be resolved, but also it's not really realistic for it to be resolved, but also I want it to be resolved, damn it. <laughs> so um, yeah, I definitely get pushed and pulled um and i suppose at the end of the ember spyglass we don't really know to what extent everyone knows what has happened so it's perfectly logical and reasonable that the magisterium would just continue exactly as it had been because presumably there wasn't necessarily any interaction between them and the authority or the angels or anything so why would they change what they're doing and even if they did know what had happened then um, yeah, why would they necessarily stop wanting to have lots of power? So, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, know, I know what you mean about that kind of ham-fisted um, turning to the camera and going, brah, 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 <laughs> the baddie is still in town. <laughs> yeah. um, but I love that. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm a child still when I'm reading stuff, so anything that's kind of really corny, I'm like, yes, excellent. Um I like I like Delamere as the introduction of characters as well. We might mm. come on to that, but um, giving the Magisterium a bit more of a single villain face. Again, it's quite ham-fisted and blunt, but I, I quite like it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of just wish Pullman had maybe explored a bit more through that. So if he's going to, I don't know, draw analogies to stuff, you could look at the death of any industry. Mm. Um, so maybe big tobacco or big oil or any other industries that have come under fire for doing something evil in the world, how those historically respond, you know, you cause confusion, doubt, raise the question of, oh, we should hear two sides of the debate. It might have been interesting to have the magisterium uh, maybe facing up to what happened, but um, basically calling it inconclusive or a lie or fake news or some other kind of like, ha ha ha, this is like what's going on in modern times. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So I don't know, there could have been something a bit more interesting in that. Uh, maybe I just miss, missed it if it's in there, but... Um, yeah, I felt very much like, here's a villain. And that was kind of it. Uh, so, yeah. I suppose the name change helps, right? Like Les Maisons just being... Uh, if he, That's the thing. So all of us are sitting here saying this, and it's like, you know, the one person who could have done something to clear this up? Philip Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it his job to write the book? Yeah. I don't know. That's a little crazy. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. It's like J.K. Rowling did the same thing, right? Like she was like, here's this really cool plot about how power corrupts and how Harry, even though he is this orphan who has been mistreated and he has to fight against this government force and against this evil force and the government supporting the evil guys, 
don't you think, and he, he, it's like Pullman does the same thing. He's so close. It's like, you're almost there, Pullman. You're like, her room just got ransacked by them, basically. But they both don't go deep enough, mm. I feel like. But that's the really interesting part, that political corruption. And it's not that the original war was for nothing. I guess it doesn't feel that way because war is, that's how war always feels, right? Mm -hmm. uh, no one wins. It's awful. Everyone freaking dies. And it's horrible. It's just not good. All to fight for more freedom against oppressors. And of course, maybe the magisterium would still be around, get new leaders, etc. But it just does feel like, oh, so from Lyra's Oxford on, nothing bad happened. And all of a sudden, now that Lyra's 20, ha ha ha, as they say, she's about to be 21, which means she has to take care of her own affairs now. And so now she's no longer going to have those protections. Mm. And I guess that's how he explains yeah. it, right? Like that they were just biding their time, but and that the Rose thing comes up like, ah, this is what they've been doing in the background while they bide their time to get Lyra. I don't know. Just feels shoehorned after being in the prequel. There is there is some stuff in the Amber Spyglass though about um I think it's I should say as well, me and Amy are still reading through Northern Lights, so man, we are going to be well out of touch for um, <laughs> like Amber Spyglass references, but um, I think at the oh, end same. there's um, a discussion with Zephania, um who kind of says that Lord Asriel's Republic will ultimately fail because you have to build it where you are. You know, it's all to do with you can't live in a world that you weren't born in. So I guess this kind of follows on from that to some extent. And also if Asriel and sort of the original mission was to kill God... Well, what they found was that there wasn't a god to kill. Mm -hmm. uh, it's maybe unsurprising that they return and basically there's still the hard work of just dismantling a big powerful apparatus that isn't held up by a supernatural deity. It's just human constructs. Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of inconsistent and consistent at the same time that the Magisterium is still powerful and a, a thing in Lyra's world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great point too. Uh, just, I think maybe having LaBelle being the first book made that a little disjointed. Mm. Although I do love that recurring theme of the power. Uh, LaBelle Savage was so incredibly powerful because you saw how power corrupts and how you have someone like Bonneville who went rogue, mm -hmm. right? He went rogue from the whole operation. He was a really respected theologian and he was a higher up. Everyone was like, yeah, that's a guy in a suit right there. But he ended up like going completely corrupt and rogue and using his power, personal power for bad. Uh, and I feel like it just feels disconnected. You know, we've been separated from Lyra for so long, and now Lyra isn't even Lyra anymore, mm. right, when we open the book. Mm. But something that I thought was interesting was that Marcus de Lemire said Lyra was under certain protections, legal and otherwise. Otherwise could have obviously been uh, Hannah Ralph and everyone else keeping an eye out mm -hmm. for her, and, you know, the witches and all these other people, but... Otherwise, really makes me think, like, is it because of her quote-unquote witch's mm. blood they talk about all the time? And is that quote-unquote fairy blood instead? Valid point. Um, we're reading through, as you mentioned, Northern Lights at the minute, and we've just got past the the bit where Mark Oster says that she has witch's oil in her. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that was, like, really fresh in my mind. And it's interesting that, like you mentioned, that it could be fairy blood as well, because I suppose that ties into the bigger theme of this book, right? The Secret Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing with the Secret Commonwealth is that Pullman's just kind of given a name to a thing that we knew was already there anyway. So all these, like, different magical creatures and things that seem quite normal but could actually be like magical interference mm -hmm. i've like pulled out a lot of those in northern lights which i've said to rage like do you think that this is some kind of 
like magical interference like we had a conversation where we were talking about mrs coulter Mm -hmm. and because there's i can't remember the specific uh paragraph but there's a when the first when uh, pullman's first describing her he mentions something about her having uh her being very charming and that everyone is immediately attracted to her and i remember saying to rach do you think that's some kind of magical property yes um and i think yeah now coming into the secret commonwealth and kind of seeing Lyra um, figure that out or being told about it and it becoming a bit more prominent, then I think that potentially there's stuff in the older books, I mean, I suppose it is a bit of retconning again, that we could apply that lens to as well. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And I must say, when you were talking, um, when you and Rachel were talking about that part in uh, Northern Lights when you first meet Mrs. Coulter, I, th- I can't remember if it was which one of you made the comparison, but you compared her to uh, Avila. And I honestly, when I was listening to that, I just stopped in the street and applauded because I was like, that is exactly what she's like. She has that otherworldly power (laughs) of like just beguiling everyone around her. And um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And I was really hoping we'd learn more, A, about, about the secret Commonwealth, as, as you say, which I think we do a little bit in this book, despite it being titled that we don't learn a huge amount. And B, a lot more about Mrs. Coulter, because she seems to be, uh, I don't know, in my head, there's some big question mark about what her impact on Lyra is in that way, if that make sense because she's always felt otherworldly and I'm not sure how much of it is just like hyperbolic language or if there is something like genuinely mystical about her um and if that was somehow affecting affecting Lyra so yeah I also think one other little headcanon that I have um and it's not been proved yet in this volume is that the world of the secret commonwealth um, relates to the spirit world that the shaman um, talk about at the end of the Amber Spyglass, I think. So they talk about communing with the spirit world and that being some way that they can travel between between worlds without physically changing um, changing world. And my particular headcanon is that that might be how we see Will again in the third volume. Uh, that's oh, wow. potentially yeah. I'm trying what... not to like throw things right now of excitement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So the first moment where we... Sorry, I know I'm like going on to a different point now, but the first moment when we potentially see Kir Yava um, in Lyra's dream in the Secret Commonwealth, I was like, oh my God, it's happening. Will's worked out how to travel into the spirit world like his dad. Oh my God. <laughs> I made all of those noises. Right. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> and you went ultrasonic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't know much about about theories necessarily. So I'd be interested to hear any of your theories about how how that would um, affect things as well. So so yeah, um, that's something I'd, I'd like to mull on a bit more uh, and certainly see how that affects Lyra's story and what protections they may or may not be giving her. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know, I broadly agree. I, I would take the dumber approach of the book title. <laughs> <laughs> the Protections of the Secret Commonwealth. I, I think um, Delamere is kind of enough of a schmoozy betrayer that he's probably aware of some of the implications of the Secret Commonwealth, the world mm. of fairy and uh, what's beyond um, you know, the, the tenets of the church. So I think there's a hint there that Lyra is under the protection of some other realm uh, not just the human realm and Jordan College and mm. 
yeah, the, the people she's surrounded by, but the fairy and the fantastical as well. Yeah, and Delamere definitely knows more than he's letting on in several points yeah. in this book. So we don't really know how much he knows and what he really believes in. Mm-hmm. That's the weird thing, though, is that if you know Marisa had disappeared so long ago and how he thinks of her, we don't get much more than that one or two chapters mm. from him, which are really mm. interesting. But it's interesting that Pullman chose him to lead that cause. It's Marcel. I think I've been calling him Marcel. He's <laughs> <laughs> definitely a Marcus. We didn't yeah. pick up on it. <laughs> no, neither did I. <laughs> Who cares what his name is? <laughs> uh, jerk. Maybe it wasn't, but I swear it was. I feel like there's a reference to him elsewhere. But I feel like, and I guess we're talking a little bit about that secret commonwealth now, because that title of the book, I expected so much more. Uh, ah, yes, the secret commonwealth. And I mean, it's obviously straight taken from the secret commonwealth of folklore. And I did read a book, uh, Evans Wentz, W.I. Evans Wentz wrote this book, The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries, and I've been reading a lot of folklore since mm-hmm. La Belle Sauvage because that fairy garden, I feel like we can't talk about this without talking about the garden in La Belle Sauvage, that underworld-esque garden uh, where where Malcolm has Lyra and they have to you know go through the things mm-hmm. basically, please the water gods to get out. And that area and the fairy that happens around there when the fairy gives her her milk. I'm wondering if that, which seems like such a small incident that happens, is going to be the framework for all of this moving forward. Because it felt like such a weird, trippy LSD dream that he put us in, right? With all those people in the garden party mm-hmm. ignoring them. And, of course, that horror of Bonneville and his ugh, his laugh <laughs> <laughs> that haunts me. Haunts me, man. But I feel like that just was out of nowhere. And the fairy and them getting her back, but just barely from the fairy. And in the fairy faith in Celtic countries, uh, basically Evans Wentz talks about how the fae would kidnap people, especially beautiful women, to take for wives. And if you eat their food, you remain trapped in another world. And if you're taken by a fairy, you go to the other world, the land of the dead. If you return from the abduction, you'd recover, but you would otherwise die there. And eating their food is taboo because it alters the body and keeps you from returning to the land of the living. So with so much of Lyra's adventures in Amber Spyglass with freeing everyone in the land of the dead, and it kind of feels like that might be what's waiting within the demon hotel or the the demon house, basically, and letting them free, maybe. Maybe she has to let the demons free in a third kind of reversal of freeing the spirits like mm. her and Pan do with the demon cages and, of yeah, course, yeah. Amber Spyglass. And I wonder, to your point, Amy, if it will tie in with some of that Will stuff, which we will talk about, I'm mm-hmm. sure, in predictions. But um, I think that a lot of the Pan and Lyra separating stuff really indicates the trauma that she went through and she's never gotten over it and she's been holding on to will in all these people and having that fairy protection and maybe tapping into some of this secret commonwealth stuff, whether it's finding the deep mystique of a portal mm-hmm. or what is going to be used to get over will. Yeah. That's super interesting. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so happy you guys are here. I haven't been able to talk about this. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Don't tell Eliana. Hopefully she doesn't have oh, the betrayal. This. Great betrayal. <laughs> Prophecy. <laughs> Betrayal. <laughs> yeah, so that's my big spiel on fairy, really. That's what that's what I think that means. I think that her fairy blood is what's happening here. I think that's what's been so special about her this whole time, I guess, to him, that maybe this whole blessed as a baby thing is what's been protecting her and what's made her so important mm-hmm. to the witches. Uh, maybe maybe the prophecy is already there, but doesn't need to necessarily be a prophecy. She's just important and has to change stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think that I completely agree on the fact that that part of La Belle Sauvage is so trippy. <laughs> I, I think I was reading it in bed and I was like falling asleep and I got to that bit and I was like, what? What is happening? Yeah. And no one talks about it, right? right? Like, I feel like no one has said anything about it since this book came out. And I'm like, is anyone, are we going to talk about the garden? Yeah. Is anyone going to talk about it? Did, no? did it happen? Did I dream it? Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's exactly what I meant um, at the beginning of Change of Style. Like, you get to the Belle Sauvage and it's kind of, Normal, 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 normal. Oh, Grandfather Thames. What? <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, okay, oh, well, I guess that book finished. And then Secret Commonwealth, you're like, okay, normal, normal, normal. Boom. It's just the same thing again. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a very strange, uh, it's a very strange ch- a change of style from Horn. Um, but I think you're right that the, the fairy is clearly um, very important. Um, I, I I just agree with basically everything you've just said. Yeah. Uh, I think that is uh, protection antibodies through uh, through the fairy milk. Absolutely. There's <laughs> <laughs> the science. You guys get it. It's ambaric. No. <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, like if that is what it is, I wonder with kind of that the Commonwealth in general. You know, speaking of the British Commonwealth and immigration, uh, maybe Lyra is going to lead all of the secret Commonwealth and all of these different people of different cultures to be more integrated into society as a normal thing. Maybe it's a more free world for those people to exist instead of having to exist on their hovels and their sand islands and stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Interesting I would thought. I so. She certainly seems to impact them um, in an interesting way in the Fens with Giorgio, but yeah, so maybe she is going to mm-hmm. do something there. Well, I think we all have to talk about the most depressing I don't thing. want to. I don't <laughs> want to. I know. It hurts so much, you guys. Ugh. Pan and Lyra. Sad. It's, yeah, it's just sad. Yeah, okay, it. so should we move on then? To like... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's just truly devastating, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I was looking through the book again I, this morning and... One of the things that really, and again, sorry, I'm really terrible at like uh, noting what pages and chapters things happen in, but a bit to what is towards the beginning. And he calls, Pan calls Lyra a stupid cow. And that really just hit me. Like, I know that they were arguing anyway, and that obviously they weren't having a good time with each other. But when he said that to her, I was like, oh God, like it just hit me right in the gut. Mm. And like, I was really sad that they were split up for almost the entire book. And I know that that's the point. Um, and that's it. that's exactly what Pullman wants and wants us to feel. But I I just kept thinking back to yeah, like Northern Lights and the first trilogy when they're like so close. I'm I'm rereading um I think it's chapter ten for uh, Rich and I's next recording, and there's a bit where um, Pullman describes Lyra and Pan like cuddling, and they're like hearts beating as one. And I was like, oh god, no, <laughs> it's too much. Um, but yeah, like I said at the top of the episode, I do like it as a storyline. I think it's different. I think it's new. I think it's it tugs on the heartstrings in the right way that makes you want to carry on reading about it because now how invested are we all now in, in seeing them reunited? Um, and I think that when we get there and hopefully when we get there in, in the next book, hopefully we'll all be a lot happier than we are in the ending of this one. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, definitely her, her calling, Pan calling her a stupid cow was like such a gut punch. I completely agree. Um, but the thing that like got me almost more than that was when he said something like, get away from me, you stink of garlic. 
And like, I don't know why, oh, yeah. but that like really affected me. And then like a couple of days after I was re- re-listening to that recently for this um, recording, I was then like preparing some cooking and I was putting loads of garlic in it. And I was like, no, pan, don't say it. <laughs> like almost like, broke down again. Uh, and then I wander <laughs> over and just go, you stink, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was really, really painful to read. But yeah, I, I, I really like it as a, as a device and I think it's a very interesting exploration of, of what's happened to Lyra and Pan um, because I guess I always felt like at the end of maybe this is my memory playing tricks on me but I always felt like at the end of the Ember Spyglass we don't really see them interacting very much because it's a lot of um, them them with Will and Kiriava not necessarily them on their own so uh, yeah I don't know it sort of makes sense that there would be some impact on them from that horrible experience and I think it's quite interesting to see Philip Pullman starting to explore depression um, in, ter- in terms of his writings and it's something he's talked about quite a lot and um, yeah it's, it's quite in- there's a very good podcast actually on um, Backlisted Pod where he talks about one of his favourite books um, called The Anatomy of Melancholy which is a very unusual <laughs> and idiosyncratic book about depression basically um but it's uh yeah it talks about it in a very strange way almost like dissecting it as a as a experience and talking about aspects of it so it's very interesting from that point of view and i enjoyed reading it in terms of looking forward to what will happen but it's so so tough to get through yeah i find it interesting as well i don't this is just a comment and then i'll leave it because i haven't really thought about it much beyond this but (laughs) i find it interesting in the book pan is um, far more concerned with reconciling with Lyra and then getting back together whereas Lyra seems to be more um, just driven by her mission of finding the Blue Hotel she seems to dwell less on repairing their damaged relationship than he does maybe I'm misremembering that because I haven't read it um, that recently but I, I kind of think that's interesting um, and if if it is in any way a kind of exploration of mental health and depression it's quite common I think for people to uh, dive into either a job or some other distraction, you know, uh, could be research, could be learning a new area. And that's what Lyra seems to do here. We don't get a lot of, well, I think Pullman talks about it is show the reader, don't just tell them. So, you know, write a good book, don't tell them how you've written a good book in in the book itself. Um, and you get that with Pan and Lyra that you don't see their relationship deteriorate, you just see the fact that it's poor. Um and I, yeah, I wonder if Lyra diving into her kind of philosophy and the books that she ends up getting into that kind of pull them further further apart is a nice analogy, at least for what people in a depressive state of mind can end up doing, or people at least who are experiencing a degree of self-loathing. Mm. You may just distract yourself and dive into your work or your studies or something else mm. rather than addressing your mental health straight on. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good uh, things to explore in the Lyra and Pan relationship. But yes, it's heartbreaking, really. Um, certainly compared to the first book, where you know we've just gone through the Bolvanga chapters and how relieved Lyra is when she escapes the demon cages and how passionately they're fighting um, when they're about to be separated and she backs against the wall to defend uh, him or them to her death. Yeah. Uh, and by contrast, this is just uh, yeah. Yeah. Sad. <laughs> I would not recommending those re- reading those two parts uh, mm, side yes. by side. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> From a personal experience, she says, <laughs> it is really sad. And 
I think when you look at it on that meta level of Pan as a part of her, so this whole book is, haha, I see you, Philip Pullman, Lyra trying to find herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And more than that, she's trying to understand. I think the Blue Hotel is totally, I mean, that is, she thinks that the answers mm-hmm. are yeah. there, right? When the answers are really inside her, like her and Pan have the answers. It's a communication problem. It's typical relationship bullshit, right? Uh, but she's totally, come on, Lyra. Like, you need to just talk to yourself some more. Um, but it, we never deal with what happens in the Amber Spyglass. You guys made some great points. There's never, I mean, it, this is the specific trauma that has come from that severing. We see the nurses that have been separated in Bullvanger and how that affects their personality, right? We see them despondent. This is how it's affected Lyra. Uh, it wasn't forcefully by machine. It was out of moment of passion and out of, you know, destiny and fate and doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the right thing for her and Pan. It was a sacrifice. And what they've sacrificed in their relationship, we don't see the punch in the secret commonwealth. The punch has already happened. The punch happened a long time ago, and it's time for them to finally face it and deal with it with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's lost herself. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well ian you brought up the books that are kind of introduced in this uh the constant deceiver mm-hmm. by simon talbot and the hyperchorasmians by gottfried brand who we get to spend some time with well pronounced <laughs> thank you that was like a one and yeah. done honestly i'm actually <laughs> nice. a little impressed myself uh our friend lo jaco mirror who's written some really awesome essays and pieces about the his dark materials books sent us an email and said what is up with the books that Lyra loves and Pan hates? When I first read Commonwealth, I felt like they represented contemporary discourse in academia and science. One only thinks rational things are valid, empiricism. One that nothing is real, extreme postmodernism. Talbot's thinking is called relativism in the book. And how does this connect to how Talbot's thinking is connected to the magisterium spreading fake news? What is Pullman saying here? Mm. Good question. Yeah, he wants to tackle that one. <laughs> I mean, I was just going to say, great question. I don't know if I'm best placed to answer it, but what I will say is I found it very interesting that um, with the relationship between demons and humans, because I think with going back and rereading Northern Lights and Amy Neon, you might feel the same, but learning all that kind of like demon lore and how they interact with their humans and learning again that it's taboo for to for demons to be touched by another person and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting to learn that if Lyra reads a book, then Pan has to read it. So Pan obviously doesn't want to read those books, but he has to, whether he actually sits and reads it with Lyra, it's unclear, but that information is now in his head as much as he, he doesn't want it to be. And that's like an interesting thing to me because it's not, it's, it's not consensual. Which is in the like level of consent between a human and a demon interests me a lot because although, like you were saying, Chloe, they are part of each other, but then they obviously differ in a lot of ways throughout the books, which we see, but especially in this this book in particular. So yeah, that just really interests me that level of consent between between a human and a demon, and that Pan's forced to read those books even though he doesn't want to. As, as you were saying, Faye, in the uh, parts that we're reading about the Northern Lights at the moment, there's a lot of questions that get raised about whether or not, yes, that, that, you know, they can share activities, but do they actually genuinely share thoughts and to what extent? And so for Pan, as you say, to, to e- either be forced to read this, but not only that, but to have a feeling of what Lyra's thinking. And if that feeling is, um, very different 
uh, to how he thinks she should be feeling and thinking or how he actually thinks, um, then that, yeah, I think Ian used the phrase called cognitive dissonance. Uh, I think they do feel very disjointed. Um, and that must be so painful. Uh, it seems to be most painful for Pan, interestingly, rather than necessarily for Lyra, but I don't know if that's because she's sort of suppressing that and what mm. she's feeling. Um, in terms of the book, the books themselves, just to go back to the question, I think it's really interesting. Um, it's definitely a commentary on something. I'm not sure I know what, but <laughs> I know that, um, I've read some of what Pullman thinks about consciousness and panpsychism. And basically, um, he's quite skeptical about the idea that, for example, if we were to replicate the physical um, embodiment of a brain, that it would actually think and be capable of expressing in the same way as a, as a human does. So I think he definitely has some... Uh, criticism or skepticism at that level of a kind of physical embodiment of rationality. Uh, but I don't know, honestly, where his thoughts are about the rest of the stuff uh, and thoughts about um, empiricism or postmodernism, postmodernism, mm. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. So yeah, it's really interesting. And I wonder how much more he's going to explore there. Yeah. And again, I think like this might be what us getting out um, in my kind of introduction, uh, you know, initial thoughts on the book that perhaps I've just missed this, but when I was saying that um, maybe having destroyed God or failed to, however you want to interpret the third book, um, the uh, Amber Spyglass, perhaps this postmodern view of things is exactly how the church reacts. Mm -hmm. That, okay, our objective truth that, you know, uh, God is the answer and all that kind of stuff has kind of been shaken. So we'll flip to a postmodern, well, everything socially constructive and relative um, morality exists. So happy days, the church can still be an authority as long as you kind of just choose it. Yeah. Um, that's kind of an interesting take. Uh, so yeah, you know, as he says in the question, um, kind of linking to the magisterium and Talbot's thinking, that's, that's kind of interesting. Maybe one way of having a religion where you've kind of destroyed God is to be postmodern about religion. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I really like this question. As for the sort of dissonance it creates between Pan and Lyra, I'm I'm in two minds about this. I'm I'm quite rational. I've never been into religion. I think one of the in one of our episodes we talk about um, influences or things that you've enjoyed from the books. And uh, you know, as I said at the start of this episode, one is for me the evolutionary biology in the third book and Richard Dawkins. So yeah, I followed Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins for a long time, and a lot of that very rational um, scientific thought process and view of the world is mine and it's something that I grew up with. So I can sort of see the the tension between Pan and Lyra that on the one hand he's got this inherent sense of wonder and awe and uh, perhaps more mysticism and isn't there something more to the universe than just a mechanical process that's happening. Uh, and then Lyra exploring perhaps more of these rational, you know, scientific ideas. Um, I can I can sort of see I can see the tension between them. Uh, a little bit in myself. Yeah, there, it's almost like she's looking again for an explanation when Pan's like, we lived it. We don't need an explanation, mm. Lyra. Like, we were out there. We were in the dust wars, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. We, we survived yeah. them. Yeah, I, I can feel that tension. It really, it does hurt. It kind of feels, 
Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard some of the drama and followed like Jordan Peterson. Like, is this the Jordan Peterson of the His Dark Materials world with all of his touting like <laughs> Mennonism as a normal religious and psychological and social yeah. thing? Uh, you know, that's kind of what it feels like. And there's this comment and I couldn't find the exact line, but Pullman said something that was so meta where he was just talking about like, ah, these flashy young essayists with their, you know, sharp wit and their hollow mm. words and yada yada. It's very obvious how he feels about these yeah. kinds of people. I really think it was obvious. I'm like, oh, we get it, Pullman. You don't think very highly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Tell us more, uh- Philip. I didn't hear you. The I first love that time. analogy. <laughs> that comparison to Jordan Peterson is so on point. <laughs> That's how it feels to me. I'm like because it's quite obvious that Pan is real, demons are real, and yeah. I think this is a great point that Low that they made that uh, that the demons like saying they don't exist is totally what the Magisterium is probably trying to mm. get off. And as we learned, I mean, they kind of introduce. We'll talk about it when we get to the hotel and the house, but they introduce this idea of demons being trafficked right Mm. uh trafficking demons for pleasure for joy or for loneliness or whatever you're using it to care for and that's so taboo um and the idea of trying to erase demons from this society this world that they grew up in and these men that have connections to get to other worlds obviously uh they're well-connected authors and even what we learn when we visit brand with pan i almost forgot about it but that poor demon Mm. kasama it's just it's a really weird connection and thought process, and I know these books are going to be more important, but I guess seeing them as something that's giving the Magisterium framework to continue on in their studies, whether it be separating demons or now it's burning everything down that contains roses <laughs> so they can control the crop, which, like I said, just finished Dune for the first time, and he who controls the spice controls everything, mm. so... Okay, we need something happy to talk about. So I'm gonna vote. Yeah, let's do it, please. <laughs> Mrs. Lonsdale, was that not the best reveal? Oh my god! Oh my god! I was just so hitting good. myself. How stupid am I? Yeah. Like, I was what the same. Like, How did I not see this? Um, and I'm sure he knows that that clever guy. He's yeah. like, oh, that's so clever. They'll never have known. Yeah. Jerk. <laughs> oh, she's so great. Oh, I loved her so so much i'm just like what an absolute legend she is like oh and also i just think i'm hoping against her that there's going to be a good resolution for her in the final book i don't know if pullman's going to give it give that to us but i really hope that he does um oh god i so when i was talking about like retconning um earlier and that i can go kind of either way like if it's done cleverly or not I'm 100% here for this one. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm just like, yeah. And it was really difficult for me as well because uh, Rach and I have just obviously, again, doing the Northern Lights and um, Mrs. Lonsdale like is really strict with Lyra and then that's all you really see of her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd already like obviously read La Belle Sauvage and then half of um, The Secret Commonwealth. And I just had this little grin on my face and I was like, but I can't say anything to Rach because she doesn't know. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I can't tell her. <laughs> no. Oh God. I accidentally spoiled for Eliana that Asta settles as a cat. And oh, I was like, oh, oh no. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. And she's like, you just betrayed me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's such a great character. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I love her. I'm also kind of like really hoping I definitely, well, I, I ship Alice and Brenda, I'll be honest. 
I really want them to uh, (laughs) get together. That's such a good (laughs) ship. I love that. Um, Yeah, I I didn't think of that. (laughs) Well, now you won't be able to not think about it. (laughs) So, um, I think when I was reading, um, when I was first reading *The Secret Commonwealth*, I was on a train with my friend, uh, and uh, when it got dropped that she was Alice, I was like. But then I couldn't say anything. So she was literally sitting in the seat next to me being like, what, what, what? And I was like, I really can't tell you, but oh my God, something just amazing has just happened. <laughs> it was a, a beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, yeah, I, re- I really love her as a character. I like that we get to see a lot more of her here. It wasn't it wasn't quite um, as much as I was hoping for, to be honest. Uh, oh, she, the, she comes in quite late, I think. The small amount you get is so good. Back chatting yeah. to the new master and just going, <laughs> fuck off. So good. Oh my God. Uh, absolutely awesome, where she just gives no ground at all, doesn't back down. Um, yeah, she's such a powerhouse. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah, love Alice. I feel like Alice got a much better treatment than Ma Costa. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like mm. it's a great improvement from Pullman to see him actually flesh out Alice Lonsdale and something I love from LaBelle Sauvage, because obviously we can't just talk about Commonwealth with talking about the only thing in the world we have to set it up, which is <laughs> LaBelle Sauvage. Um, but uh, I love that she wasn't just a pretty girl that was mean or like a, like a bitchy girl mm-hmm. or something. You know, like she was, she never smiled because she had to as a character. Mm-hmm. She wasn't like that. I don't know how to explain it, I guess, but I just liked the way that Pullman dealt with her that like, she's kind of like, in, she had an attitude and she just did her job and she showed up and, but yet she was the most compassionate and caring mm-hmm. person who put her whole life out there on the line to take care of Lyra and to help Malcolm in his journey and uh, I think it was really cool to see that fleshed out and to see like a little bit of the history of that she had married young, but the guy died. And all of a sudden, what? That's her real name is Alice. And Lyra is just as surprised as us, right? Like in the moment, we were all like, this is Lonsdale. <laughs> yeah. Malcolm, you guys know each other. And first name basis. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was just the best reveal. It made me really happy. And I liked the way he handled her. I really, again... I feel like Ma Costa kind of got the short end of the stick when it comes to the books. Uh, the show, I think, was interesting that he, they tried to flesh her out, but I think they went an interesting direction, and by interesting means an unfavorable one, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and they just made her, I don't know, I, I it, she just didn't seem like the Ma Costa we knew, so it was kind of like a toss-up. And also, it's really easy to have her be in the final battle, mm-hmm. like, really easy. Yeah. Like, it's so easy that the Golden Compass did it. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Alice got to do some she action. Did. Now, uh, earlier we talked about that trigger warning on the sexual assault. I won't go into that violence and the details, but I did feel like we already kind of knew, so there was really no reason for Pullman to reveal that that way. Yeah. Like, they could have just looked away and not talked about it. I guess whatever, he wants to be honest with Lyra in the moment and have her learn everything. But we already read it. We already really know what happened. You could have just been subtle about it. I don't know. Yeah, I sort of disagree to some extent because I don't think I really knew knew what happened because it was described in a very vague way in the Sauvage. Maybe, maybe that's what you mean in terms of like you didn't necessarily need to be explicit about what happened. Um, but I think in a way it's good to have such a strong, real feeling character as Alice being mm-hmm. like feeling okay to be honest about what's happened to her with someone that she trusts like Lyra and with Malcolm and Hannah. I don't know. I I, I know Malcolm knows what happened, but I think 
maybe in that sense it's positive, but otherwise, yeah, it felt like maybe a bit of an unnecessary explanation in terms of what actually happened. I didn't like how it was framed through her and Malcolm is kind of one oh, okay. issue with it that it was more like, well, you know, Malcolm saved me from, yeah. from the rape. Yeah, and, okay. Yeah, that's that's what yeah. I didn't like. And I mean, we're going to talk about Malcolm in just a bit here actually coming up next. So I guess we could talk about it more. But I just didn't feel like it. I felt like kind of like what Faye was saying. We didn't get a ton of Alice in this last book, obviously, because she wasn't there like she was mm-hmm. in the Mel Sauvage. What we did get of her was strong, and it is strong for her to be able to talk about her experience, but it did feel, that whole scene in general almost felt very shoehorned. Like, oh shit, Lyra has to re-meet all of them and understand everything. Mm. Well, time to do a whole synopsis, which he does do in the main trilogy. Two is like, how many times do you open a chapter in the new book, the next book and go, ah, by the way, this happened in the last book, which is why I'm telling you about it now. Yeah, I... Um, I don't really know how to um how to interpret this one i I sort of think it's good to have these issues fronted up but um i don't know how much of it is almost i don't know unnecessarily shining a spotlight on something unpleasant it's it's difficult i sort of admire pullman in some way and you know it's it's maybe true for the train scene that I'm, i'm sure we'll come on to it feels a little bit gratuitous but then equally it would be a shame to con- to chuck this kind of thing into the shadows and not address it head on. Um, sexual assault happens, and I think if people refuse to write about it, it's damaging as well. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm really in two minds. Mm. I quite like your point though about it being framed through Malcolm. So yes, maybe that's uh, maybe that's what sits uncomfortably, yeah. at least about the um, the way that Alice's experience is described. But uh, yeah, I'm really in two minds. Yeah, and I think as well, um, when we hear again about Alice's experience, and uh, to to your point, Amy, on it being a bit vague in La Belle Sauvage, I think that's because it was through Malcolm's eyes and he was a child, so maybe he didn't really know what was going on Mm. when he saw that. Um, But I think that with Alice in this book, I think the reason, I like I said earlier, personally, I don't don't enjoy reading... um, about anything like that, sexual assault in, in in books, unless it's absolutely necessary for the story, which I don't think this is. And I think that we don't spend, although we get to see Alice being absolutely badass, which is amazing, we don't spend enough time with her to see her then dealing with that. Mm. Um, and I mm. think that if we did have that, it would be different. And the same with Lyra, with what happens to her towards the end of the book in the train scene. I hope that we get to spend time with Lyra in the next book while she deals properly with what happened to her. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that that's the important bit that was missing definitely with Alice. That's, at that's least. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. That's a great way to put it. It didn't. It just didn't feel in service to mm-hmm. Alice. Mm. Well, I'm really excited to talk about our favorite thing in the world, which is Malcolm Polstead, the man of the novel, the hero, the guy that knows karate and science, and he's a scholar, and he'll beat you up, and man, he's going to get the girl. Sorry, was that good? Do you think that was a good Malcolm quote? I don't, I don't Super know. great. Oh, Every man, Malcolm Polstead, you guys. Oh, God. <laughs> It's funny because in the Belle Sauvage, I liked him. Like, I know he was a child, but like, he was great. And then, like, in this book, I just feel like, honestly, like, my honest feelings, if I can distill it, is fucking ew. Like, (laughs) Like, I can't get on board with this Lyra and Malcolm thing. Mm. Like, you knew her when she was a baby, man. Like, you. 
like, oh, oh, sorry, I'm just like all over the place with this because I have so many thoughts. Like, I was, but he was a kid and she's legal though. <laughs> <laughs> That's the line sorry. you want to draw. <laughs> Oh god. I um I was actually spoiled on this. Um I follow I don't know if you guys follow this, but I would recommend it. There's a Twitter account called at men write women. Uh mm, and it's mm-hmm. all about how men write women. So lots of Stephen King in there, as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of Philip Pullmans from here and there, especially within this book. And um somebody posted that. Uh, I think it's actually I did look this up and it's on page 147 and it's um, when Malcolm and Lyra are together and he's remembering uh, teaching her when she was younger. And then he talks about like how actually I'm just I've got the book next to me and I'm just going to look because I want to make sure that I'm getting this right. So. Oh, yeah. So he is um, he starts to become like conscious of how he's being around her and he says, but four years later, was it still wrong to think about it? About Lyra now? Wrong to yearn to put his hands on either side of her face, on those warm cheeks, and bring it gently towards his. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Are you reading this? this I'm, is so awful. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh. oh god, I when I read that, and because I knew it anyway, because I'd been like like I said, I'd been spoiled from that picture. I, I'm actually kind of glad I was spoiled because I was prepared. <laughs> like yeah. I think if I'd have just read that and I wasn't prepared, I would have been like, what? the fuck is happening it was a surprise for sure it was kind of a surprise but i think um and we did talk about this in our prediction episode before we um before we went to the the global launch of the book and like read it for the first time i was kind of worried something like this would happen because there was a sort of slightly odd way that Pullman described Malcolm's response to Lyra even when she was a baby. And I don't know why, but something about that, like the way that he was like, oh my God, from the first moment he saw her, he was captivated. There's something about that that was a bit like, uh, okay, this is like slightly weird that he's like so obsessed. I'm, I'm not saying he was like attracted to her as a baby. That's obviously like, wait. Yeah, he's not, wait, not a yeah. pedophile, but yeah. No, no, no. But there, there was something weird about the way he was setting it up that made me nervous and like this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm also glad, like you, Faye, that I was sort of slightly prepared for it, but still not still not ready, nor will I ever be really for that yeah. um, for that particular grouping. <laughs> um, it frustrates me a little bit as well because I do actually still like Malcolm as a character. I agree that he needs like way more imperfections he needs like not to be this like bastion of everything that is great and good and wonderful and blah 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 uh yeah he needs to be a bit more real it's like lord asriel without the flaws yeah basically yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. um yeah so he he definitely needs to be a bit more flawed um and i would really very much like it if they weren't being put together in a fairly horrible way yeah i i i was sort of hopeful that malcolm would be maybe uh a sort of not totally physically inept nerd i guess is the best way of describing it as an adult like he would he would be in the story as a very intelligent person who was maybe a bit ill-equipped to deal with like violence or physical stuff um that he'd be portrayed perhaps in a cliched way but as a really good engineer (laughs) And that would be his role. Bye. Um, but no, I mean, sure, why not? Get, get him in there as the explorer, the karate kid, and everything else. Um, yeah. Maybe Pullman was like, we already have too many characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, As for Malcolm and Lyra, just no. Just like... No. I mean... I, 
you know, I mean, even, even even leaving aside being slightly creeped out by it, it's just like, oh, come on. All right. I guess like the two main characters can get together because you need some romance in the book. It just, it like, it's just not necessary. Yeah. It, it might even have been okay if it was left to the third book, but I just felt like we don't need this to be a a love story as well. Yeah. Again, as well, also after coming off of the ultimate love mm. story of Lyra and yes. Will. It's like the last thing that you want, Exactly. Right? He's like the worst rebound guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, or the best, I guess, if you really look at it that well, way. Yes, yes, I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> we could just get rid of him after. I mean, God, if we do this to him. I don't... So, I, I, I think... There's been a couple times where, like, there are some characters that are very obviously self-inserts for Pullman. This is one of them. Um, wasn't Malcolm, like, the nerdy chubby kid in La Belle Sauvage? The nerdy chubby ginger? And now, all of a sudden, he's the tall, farm body ginger <laughs> with strong hands and a kind <laughs> smile. He's, like, a handsome Hagrid. I don't know. Um, it, uh, I mean, look at his scene with Olivier. Right, with Olivier Bonneville. Like, mm. he's all like, oh, you punk ass kid, I'm gonna show you and I'm gonna go get my girl back. <laughs> and the line in La Belle Sauvage specifically is that he says that he was her servant for life, wasn't he? Or no? I don't remember, but it was, mm. it, it was like very. Mm, yeah, I don't know. It's a bummer because Malcolm was a really yeah. good character and he's still a good yeah. character, but he really just piled on the stuff for him. And I think. In our predictions, we're going to get into it a little more, but I think he is there. Maybe it won't be consummated. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I said that. I don't think it's going to be consummated. Okay. Or maybe the dust will just like fall upon them. Who knows? They'll be like banging in the desert. (laughs) But uh, this is the worst book. Pullman, I love you, but why did you do this to me? Um,. I just I don't think it'll be consummated, but I think maybe there will be a point. I think that especially with the stuff we talked about with Will and Lyra needing to get over Will and Pan and Asta bonded so much, not mm. only in LaBelle, but even like as a kid, and that electricity Pan feels when he realizes that Asta is severed as well, like makes him go, What the fuck? Like mm. whoa, whoa. So I don't know if it's just like Pan wanted to fall in love. With Asta and Malcolm and Lyra refused to. And I think there's something going on there because Pan was constantly trying to like be like, we could talk to Mr. Polstead. And she's like, no, we couldn't. We can fuck right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's like literally all of the secret commonwealth. We could do this. Fuck off, Pan. Um, <laughs> but I feel like maybe because Pan is trying to get over Will and like be able to move on and Lyra obviously is not like Pullman said in an interview that Lyra is surrounding herself by these older gentlemen by Giorgio by uh even hanging out with Polstead because she feels like she's cheating on Will Mm. when she's with younger guys uh he said something along those lines in an interview okay (laughs) but uh it makes me think like uh, it just makes me think that there's going to be some sort of closure there, and I don't think they're going to be together. I hope also, not. what about these migraine auras? Are those going to come back, or was that just like another Pullman self-insert? Because he gets those. Did you guys I know, did that? know? No, that. I didn't know. That. Although that's super yeah. interesting. That's why he gave I, them I get them as well. So I'm like, maybe I'm just oh. maybe I'm just Malcolm in our world. I feel less good about <laughs> that now that we've just torn him to pieces for Uh-oh. ten minutes. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, I, I really like that being written in because I I, I uh, get migraine auras as well, and his description of them is perfect. Um, oh. So I hope they come back out of personal selfish. Like, oh, look, that's my experience. <laughs> Representation. Uh, I guess maybe like. I always thought they stood out during LaBelle, but especially with the rose oil. Now I'm mm. like, ah, is this going to come back? Like, is he going to be able to go to a world or see a world or do a thing or have a thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, you guys. Mm. I don't know. We need this damn book. <laughs> really, I, I read LaBelle Sauvage two days before this book came out, and then I read this book like oh, wow. immediately. So I'm dead. Like, it's over. <laughs> 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 <sighs> So, Lyra love interests. While we're on the topic of Malcolm, Mm -hmm. what about the Raylo, the Ray and Kylo Ren (laughs) of the His Dark Materials world, Olivier Bonneville and Lyra? Is this the Raylo? Is this an OTP? I don't know. Discuss. (laughs) Discuss. I had not even thought about that until I read the notes that you'd made. And I was like, wow. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, I wouldn't hate it. Like I, I'm not sure how I feel about um, like Bonneville. It's like I I don't want to ship them, but I kind of do at the same time. Like I wouldn't if that somehow got written in. I don't think that I'd be. I'd prefer that. <laughs> I'd prefer it over Malcolm. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Yeah, but I wasn't a massive fan of his character either. I feel like he could have been a bit more layered. Um, we only saw that one aspect of him incessantly trying to reach Lyra and Pan. So maybe we'll get that'll be explored in the next book. But yeah, I wasn't huge on on him and his arc yet, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I agree actually, now that you've mentioned it. He's not really hugely padded out yet. Um I I, I would say it's definitely it definitely feels like a Raylo or a or a Dramione, if I can say that as well, I would say. <laughs> 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 Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. Olivia Bonneville is interesting. He's certainly not very likable at the moment, um, but he's not as hateful as his dad, at least. So yeah, that's a True. that's a plus. I know. Get get him together with whatever Lyra's friend from the beginning of the book was called. You know, the girl whose dad owned oh, the rose, rose business. Oh, yeah. Like they, they can they Miriam. can yeah yeah they can ride off together into the sunset. <laughs> like random couple number three. <laughs> Imagine the sex. I mean, I'm just putting it out there. I feel like that could happen. There's got to be fanfic by now. Does anyone have AO3 open? Oh, no, my God. Oh, my God. That's, that's something I've not even... <laughs> just saying, does it exist? Not even explored. I, w- I really want to. That's, that, I don't exist. know. I don't know. I think that would ruin... Maybe that's something for after the final book. <laughs> when when everything can oh finally gosh. be ruined, we'll go down the what fanfic exists. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're talking on that. Oh we could have a fanfic episode. Uh, yeah. yeah. We could have a big fanfic episode. That app. would be so I'll fun. come to the table with one uh, really ridiculous, smutty one and say, this is the one I yeah. read about. Oh, uh, yeah. yes. uh, that'd be great. We have to do that. Um, speak, speaking of uh, fanfic and sex specifically, I had a really, really long. Um, Where are you I going sh- with I this? Pause there. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you led. I think you should keep going. I had a really long argument with a friend about whether or not Will and Lyra had sex in the garden, and so I'm very, very annoyed that uh, that we got a kind of retcon from Philip on this that mm. they just kissed mm-hmm. because in my head they definitely banged. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. 
Anyway, complete tangent. I think it makes sense, but it's also, it's like you don't have to say it. Yeah. Again, again, I'm just saying, like, this whole book is Pullman just being like, well, since I'm the author, I want you to know this is what happened. Yes. You guys have all been making rumors up on reddit.com slash are his dark materials, and I see you, said Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> that Olivier, that dynamic is like a big face-off, right? Like, that's going to be a big face-off war. Mm. It has to be like you. You basically are the cause of the death of my dad, dude. Like, is he going to get redeemed? Maybe in the next book, since we're on the Raylo discussion. Ooh. Oh, maybe. Will there be a redemption arc for Olivier Bonneville? He said, "Not as bad as his dad." Yeah, he said. It seems to be set up in a way that's like, as they said, fairly one-dimensional, and therefore maybe a bit moldable or a little bit gullible mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he has been working for the Magisterium. Like, for fun. (laughs) (laughs) But is it for fun? I mean, look at that. If you have the skill, uh, would they let him go otherwise now? No. That's true. I mean, he's not... uh, Yeah, he's probably not being forced-forced, but it's not like he could just openly leave this job now. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Magisterium has proved pretty pretty much a force to be reckoned with, obviously, as we're reading this book still, mm-hmm. right? Like, this book has happened. <laughs> um, so, I mean, he is kind of like a character that I think maybe will be redeemed. I think maybe Pullman has a plan that he will join the good guys. That conversation with Malcolm mm-hmm. uh, in the cafe alone kind of proved, like, maybe he could be more than just, like, a little rich shit. That's what he, <laughs> like. he feels like a really flimsy, like, my father <laughs> like invented alethiometers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Dramini. <laughs> <laughs> my father the inventor of alethiometers shut the fuck up I think the best character that we could ship with Lyra though is Dick Orchard <gasps> oh A my he is the best grandpa yes. best grandpa <laughs> <laughs> B I mean the, oh probably God. the best dick in the county if we're really <laughs> who he is I don't know many other dicks in that county so <laughs> Dick Orchard for president. <laughs> oh, I love him. Oh, I, I just, oh. And again, like, I'm taking it back to Northern Lights, but Rach and I just got past the chapter where Lyra takes a shine to him because he can spit further than anyone that yes. she knew. Yes. <laughs> so I was really, really excited when he came back in this book. And that is so nice. Like, and I love how, um, like, casual their relationship is too. So, like, I think it mentions that they obviously, like, had a fling, like they banged a few times and they stayed like good friends and that was it. Like, I think it's really good like that, like Pullman's like actually chosen to show that actually you can just have a casual relationship. It doesn't have to be super serious Um, and that they're both okay with that happening and that they can be friends outside of that too. And I loved that so much. Like, oh, I was fully uh, like waiting for him when they first introduced him in the Secret Commonwealth to be like out as some kind of fuck boy. And like the fact, <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that he doesn't and that he's actually a nice guy, I was like, yes, I love this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he even wears the ascot, like you're right, total fuck boy. You know he has the hair swoop and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> oh, and yeah, like it's one of the first times we see him again in the Secret Commonwealth. He's like sat in the pub, isn't he, with like her, uh, her friends and like, couple of girls like fawning all over him Mm -hmm. and you're like oh classic fuck boy and then they're like actually no yeah but always chasing out wait 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 wait. here's a take lyra's a fuck girl oh (laughs) she definitely i said what i said always chasing after her she always kisses the boys makes them cry leaves them hanging leaves them in other (laughs) places you know what i'm saying i'm saying i don't (laughs) 
I'm just saying maybe Lyra's the fuckboy. <laughs> like, maybe that's not fair to Dick Orchard. I mean, I, mean, I don't Absolutely. hate that. I think it would be pretty, like, in uh, sequence with Lyra's personality to be a, to be a fuckgirl. Yeah. 100%. She definitely I mean, displays some pretty... I think we just learned it happened. <laughs> yeah. even, even, it's e- canon now. Even pretty fucking. I mean, like, Roger just, you know, left him. <gasps> oh, yeah. 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 I'm onto something. Love this theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she definitely... So it's canon 100 now, upvotes. Um, yeah, she definitely displays some kind of uh, fairly toxic femininity, if I can say so, to the other girls in the pub in that scene as well, which I really mm, don't yes. like. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I think, as you say, Dick is great. I know we just said, I love Dick. You know, another great book, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dick, is, Dick is so good. And it's really nice, as you said, Faye, that yes, they have this amazing... Um, amazingly healthy relationship where they have a fling and there's like clear affection there um and there was even like maybe some uh yeah passion there for a while but ultimately he's the first person that she goes to when pan leaves her and that's like a really powerful statement about who he is as a character and how she feels about mm-hmm. him which is really yeah really great yeah sexy dude <laughs> I, just, I, de- I definitely <laughs> I definitely imagine this guy basically as a libertine leather jacket dope hair and his um demon is a vixen i mean yeah. say no more Ooh. like that guy just mic drops mm, fucks it. um yeah awesome <laughs> it does feel like she put him in that fuckboy category so that she wouldn't get close to him mm. yes is kind of how i think it really came across and yeah she does display that really toxic femininity um, and she thinks about it, which is what I think is so interesting that she's like, oh, I guess I was awful to those girls. That's shitty of me. And she thinks like, oh, that was inappropriate. And it kind of shows she is putting on a front here, yeah. right? Like she's not letting anyone get close to her, get vulnerable with her. People see that she's not close to Pan anymore. And Lyra's so lost. She's like not really sure where she is. So I think that's really important that Dick's a character in this. And it's also important because it gives her that connection to the Egyptians again. I yes. feel like... I was kind of wondering, like, does she hang out with the Costa family still? Does she do this? Does she do that? Uh, This is kind of what we got. But her going back to the Fens kind of feels like, again, that that rite of passage with the hero's journey. You know, the kids can't go home ever again, but now they're going to a different home. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that we get to see Father Coram again. Oh, I love him. Dad! (laughs) (laughs) And you guys thought he was going to be dead. Uh, You guys were worried he was going to be dead, and I'm so happy. Yeah, me too. Big relief. (laughs) Instead, it was John Fa. It was John Fa instead. Oh, John That's that's more acceptable, though. He he went out fighting, probably. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, Father Coram would have been an absolute heartbreak. Oh. Yeah. He could Mm -hmm. never die. That's the funny thing. So it's like, lol, that you and Serafina could never get over your issues because this bitch won't die. <laughs> <laughs> He's still alive. I'm just saying. Oh, God. Okay, you guys, the train scene, that train scene. I know we talked a little bit about it. We might bring up a little bit of sexual violence again. So listeners, if you uh, don't want to talk about it, tune out. What What did everyone feel about the train scene? Yeah, I think I've I've said a lot of my thoughts already, but I I could have definitely done without it. I could have specifically the sexual assault. Um I think there are other ways to show Lyra in peril than to submit her to be the victim of sexual assault. I think that the books should have at least come with some kind of content warning. Um I really wasn't expecting it. I think that 
the way uh, Pullman wrote it, although I thought how he wrote it was gutting. It wasn't, I don't think he wrote it in, in a bad way. It was very shocking. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't want it. I I hope, like we mentioned earlier, like with Alice and we were not really given the time of day with her for her to show us how she processed after her own sexual assault. I To say again, I hope that we see that journey with Lyra and that it isn't just brushed under the carpet in the next book um, because I think that would be a bit of a disservice to everyone out there reading it that has been the, a victim of sexual assault themselves. I think that if you're going to put it into a book, you need to be responsible with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I must say, I I, I think I mentioned I re-listened to the audiobook in preparation for this, but um, I first read this whole book probably back in October when it was first released. And I got to the part in the audiobook where this train scene happened and then found other things to do because I didn't really want to listen to it again. So I don't necessarily have a very fresh memory of what exactly happened. Um, I don't know. I definitely swing back and th- back and forth on this. I think uh, if it's addressed properly and if, as you say, Faye, we see Lyra's journey with all of this that's happened to her and how she copes with this, um, I think it could actually be like a very way a way to make it positive basically or a way to to you know um actively say something and to potentially even help people did it need to happen i i I don't necessarily think so but again it is something that does happen and i think it's a way to show potentially how lyra is being treated differently in this world because of her lack of um, lack of a demon at this particular point and yeah I don't know I yeah I haven't really probably processed everything about what I feel about this particular scene yet um, I just hope Philip Pullman delivers on this properly basically mm. yeah I'd agree I like is it necessary for the story definitely not is it completely tangential and unnecessary also no she is traveling alone in a world that's yet far more backward, let's say, than our own world. And she's in a part of the world that's even more backward than that, uh, surrounded by soldiers who are clearly, um, yeah, awful people. So it's, it's not completely random and just like he wanted to crowbar a scene in for the sake of making, making a point or being political or shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree, by the way, the fact that I think it is really well written, whether or not it needs to be in there. It's, I think it's actually, it's shocking and horrible, but that's a sign of a good writer. Um, I guess, yeah, I'd agree with what everyone else has already said, that it, it, as long as it's now treated uh, well and that it isn't just an incidental scene for the sake of shock value, um, then who knows? It might well be pivotal and important. Um, and I do think it's important this kind of thing isn't totally ignored or swept under the rug. But one one thing that struck me as you were talking, Faye, that this sort of it doesn't really sit in this book. I was, you know, when I, when we first started recording, my, uh, I guess, intro remark about this was, oh, we shouldn't avoid this type of subject. But it is way more violent and shocking and distressing than everything else in this book. Mm. And given that, it does feel out of place. It's like if he randomly went into a mass genocide in a load of detail. 
it's just not really in the same tone, style, or level of distress or uh, heightened emotion or reality, perhaps gritty reality, that the rest of the book is. Mm-hmm. So perhaps I'm sort of changing my mind. It feels less necessary now that we've started talking about it because it's just not really in keeping with the tone of the rest of the book. You know, the rest of the book is about uh, fairy and magic and you know, um, arguably some uh, mental distress and people growing up. It's not necessarily about this kind of really, really harrowing life experience. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, it feels a little bit out of kilter in that respect. You know, a book about those issues, totally fair, totally fair, as long as it's dealt with um, carefully. But this isn't that book. So I don't know. I'm still kind of divided on it. Yeah. It makes Alice's rape feel like it was a foreshadowing almost. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of something interesting I'm playing with here in my mind because... Uh, him like having that reveal at the beginning of the book and then book ending the book with this assault almost happening um and obviously this book is so much more political all of his books are political but so much more political than previous books and the fact that he very much so chose to be in turkey or in other places and that these soldiers uh something low jacko mirror pointed out to me they said these guys told her to wear a niqab to be avoided in the future on the train and a kneecap specifically covers the face and not the eyes. It has been, you know, it can be confused with burkas and different things. But in Turkey specifically, women who wear a head covering cannot work in the public sector. Uh, in 2008, the parliament tried to lift the ban on headscarves in schools, letting them be worn at school to keep from dissuading against potential applicants getting an education. But then they appealed that lifting and ruled that law couldn't be changed. So what he intends here. Uh, showing some I mean and again this is a very strongly political book and I know he is very political mm-hmm. but it almost feels a little prejudiced in mm. some parts yeah mm. um it, it it feels like this is coming from him who has been strongly political obviously we all follow his twitter let's be real we see him going off <laughs> yeah. sometimes I'm like grandpa stop yelling at the <laughs> but this does come off a little prejudiced um maybe again maybe it's just his view and this world is different, but it doesn't feel like it coincides with current Turkey. Um, some of the events, it, it, I'm just not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. As to Ian's point, I think Ian made a great point that it, as he talked, he undid this point actually. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> it. It, feel, it doesn't feel necessary, but it's not that it's unnecessary. I mean, the scene was full of action and horror and had me on the edge of the seat, but tonally it was wrong. I think that it felt shoehorned to add another one mm. in. Uh, it's starting to feel a little like a device, and I think he's just like getting a little creative control over his story. Like they're adults now, hooray! You can do more, but that doesn't mean you should do more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Yeah, I do like to that point with what Amy was saying too, and Ian that like this is a world where if you don't have your demon, you are very much so marginalized. Um, you are open to assault. You are a person like you're worthless in humans' eyes. These soldiers f- saw her as worthless. Like she had no value as a human. They could do whatever they wanted with her. Uh, she was not under protection of her demon of having a soul. She was soulless. And looking at that in comparison to these books we're talking about by Talbot and Brand, um, I think this very much so reinforces kind of why those books are out there like that. Those books being out there where people can just believe them and read them openly reinforces this behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was our intense conversation on the train scene. Shall we lay it to rest? Yes, Leave please, it on the tracks? Please. Yes, please. I would like that. <laughs> Ian, I know you had some thoughts, especially about Prague and the magician, and I would love you to lead this and take us away. Distract us. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, I, I love this part of the book being based in Prague. I think it was great that we went there as a, um, a part both in our world and in Lyra's world. Great setting, scene, backdrop, all of that stuff. Um but <laughs> it just felt super random. So yeah. yeah, Lyra visits this magician who has um, captured a sort of demon that has been uh, imbued or embodies water somehow uh, through an experiment that the father of the uh, fire man, <laughs> who is then the, the counterpart to this water demon, um, experimented on his uh, son, I think, if I'm not misremembering yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically uh, sort of pulled them apart, but also imbued them with the essence of fire and water. And this magician's been experimenting in the, on this water demon. When the two of them sort of reunite, it kicks off some machinery that this magician has um, created specifically for the purpose of something we don't know about. Yeah. Um, but anticipating that when they reunite, they'll basically conflagrate and produce this magic steam. And like, while it was an interesting scene and I was like oh <laughs> this is all super cool um it just didn't seem to go anywhere and it took about five years <laughs> like I read slowly <laughs> um so yeah I, I I really don't know what to make of this uh, as I was reading through it I was like hmm we're gonna get all sorts of stuff about how the alethiometers came into existence oh maybe this person is immortal oh <laughs> maybe he represents dust maybe he's an angel oh my god you know like stuff and it just doesn't go anywhere. It was so <laughs> odd. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, I kind of zoned out when I was um, when I was listening to the beginning of the scene. So perhaps I've missed context in my first reading of the Secret Commonwealth. But yeah, I enjoyed it, but it was super random. <laughs> and I think as well, like I, this is one of the few parts of the book that I keep coming back to since since first reading it and thinking, what does this mean? What's this about? This seems to be one of the parts that. I feel like it's going to come back, but I don't know. Um, and I really like that we actually go to Prague because it does seem to be a place that a lot of different things happen. And it's a really interesting place historically in our world as well. Um, and especially intersecting that with alchemy and the, the whole Sebastian Makepeace part mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, particularly the story in, in Lyra's Oxford and the idea that alchemists are doing something completely different um, than what they're saying they are, so they, they remain undetected. I wonder if, um, uh, if I've started listening to a really good podcast called The History of Alchemy, which is basically about a load of alchemists in our world, very much recommended. Um, but I wonder if uh, the alchemists here are going to be doing something they don't want the magisterium to be aware of, and that's what their whole foil about like trying to make gold out of lead is about, is it's a big distraction, a big kind of decoy, that they're actually doing something far more important um, and potentially more related to the secret commonwealth? Big question mark. I don't know. Um, so yeah, this is the bit that I get most confused about in the whole book, to be honest. So yeah, no more thoughts, but questions. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's a good summary for that whole area, <laughs> that whole section of the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good rule, actually. It's a very good rule. <laughs> but I don't know. What, what did you guys think? I uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I was kind of... I read a lot in bed, and I was reading 
this bit and I was like falling asleep and I was like what what is happening I don't understand and then when I got to the like end of that chapter I agree it felt like it lasted for a million years and I was like what have I just read and do I need to read it again but then I was like I don't actually like I was like I don't actually want to read it again like I I was like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna carry on and like see if anything comes of it and then like by the time I got to the end of the book I'd kind of already forgotten about it so I do wonder if we will go back to it in in the last book Hmm. I'm guessing we have to there's a lot of that stuff that those one-offs that he started I'm hoping we have to I guess is the proper word I should have said there sorry let me adjust my (laughs) phrasing I'm hoping we have to um I just I don't know I'm pessimistic like Ian kind of is about all these plots getting nailed down Mm. Uh, I have reason to be pessimistic being in a Song of Ice and Fire fan. I've seen this in action already. Like, start all these threads, these plot threads not tying up. I don't know. But I do wonder if this and, like, a lot of that stuff was just weird. The safe house, um, all of a sudden the Magisterium blowing up the mm-hmm. safe house. And, like, it turns out it still happened. It all just happened so fast. It was all over the place. This felt like two books. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. It felt like two books. Um I don't know how to feel about this, but the alchemy stuff is really interesting, and I am wondering if that might be about it. And even if so, if they have something to do with what's inside of the hotel, uh, the blue hotel. Mm. Because obviously they're suddenly important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Just, I don't know. Again, so many questions, not a lot of answers. (laughs) Sum up the book. (laughs) So the big ticket that we haven't really gotten to get into yet is kind of something that's around the whole story. It's very fragrant. (laughs) The roses. What? The roses. What? What the hell? The Atar of Rose. Like opening this book and that is the new thing. I mean, and I guess I equate it to dust, but what? Yeah. And to getting dust, but wow, there is a lot to think about with that. Whether it opens up with the production of the roses and the rose water stopping uh, and seeing how it affects all of the authority and magisterium, all these people in power, all the way down to the little guys and the scholars, even. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about this rose water? I, I do like how, what you just said, Chloe, about how we kind of see the dismantling of like the rose oil factories for want of a better phrase um as we see it from the top to the bottom so we see the effect that it has on like the magisterium and then we go all the way down to the to the bottom and we see the effect that it has on the pe- the workers the people that work in those factories and stuff and i like that aspect of it but in terms of what it actually does i know we get like a bit of a hint and yes like you said it's it's i see it as well as being equated to dust but again we get the groundwork here, but we don't actually get anything more than that, I don't think. And I think that is something that will probably again be explored in the in the next book. Yeah, it's I'm very confused about this one. Possibly more confused about Prague even, which is impressive. Um I think <laughs> I think a lot of the time there seems to be an allusion to like big farmer sort of thing people getting involved, which kind of doesn't really exist in Lyra's world, so I wonder if like Roses was was a starting point of what Philip Pullman would think. Like, well, if they don't have um, 
like as as developed pharmaceuticals than maybe roses, botany, I don't know. Uh, But it's definitely not what I expected to be a key plot point of this book. Like, (laughs) we didn't predict roses. Um, I also think there's lots of interesting stuff in terms of the idea that you know, the very specific conditions in which they grow. Potentially, my theory or thought is that they grow in an area without dust, potentially, or grow in an area without demons seems to be something something odd going on. So there's a poem um, in this that gets referred to as kind of a love story of, of two people who meet and uh, fall in love or spend some time in a rose garden. Um, I wonder to what extent that's drawing some parallels between Lyra and Will, especially because, and this is maybe like a big stretch, so I'm just going to limber up a bit for this one, um, but I was reading Demon Voices recently and Pullman was talking about the final illustration that he did for the final chapter of The Amber Spyglass, and in the end he ended up going for a picture of two flowers intertwined but always facing away from each other, and to me they look like roses. Ooh. There's my speculative stretch for the day that is um, something that I'm wondering if if this love story, this poem, this epic tale about these two kind of like ill-fated lovers um, is in some way talking about Lyra and Will's destinies again. But yeah. I don't know. That's super good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what to make of the roses. I keep trying to find a way that this trilogy will be as uh, sort of grand a scale as the first. Mm. So, you know, if the... Um, his Dark Materials trilogy was about, you know, finding and destroying God. <laughs> and it included these fundamental particles that pervade the entire universe and are the source of consciousness. Yeah. What is this trilogy's equivalent of the best, that? The best smelling roses, obviously. Uh, exactly. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, so roses are important. How could that possibly feed back to some kind of universe-wide, all-generation-encompassing, whole-of-humanity-important thing? And I'm stumped. I, I really don't know. I'm going to assume that until, well, until the third book and proven otherwise, that this trilogy is just on a slightly smaller scale and that um, Roses might be in some way be to do with, uh, yeah, like you said, either uh, how dust affects demons, what makes demons settle, mm-hmm. um, or, yeah, some some connection to a dustless part of the world. Yeah. Obviously, The Secret Commonwealth is the title, so I'm going to go, I'm going to fall straight back to that and that maybe the rose oil is a way of humans keeping in touch with or... Uh, preventing humans getting in touch with one or the other um the secret commonwealth and the world of fairy or the spirit world uh so maybe the magisterium are you know suppressing it but i don't know yeah but also it is called the book of dust so and it has similar properties potentially to um the malefa oil the seed pod oil mm-hmm. in that it can help you see dust or see humans interactions with mm. things yeah. So there's that as well. Like, who cares? Who knows? Who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah see why? Dust, oh. Why, Pullman? Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, no, that is the question. Really. Like, why did you write this? Mm. Mm. <laughs> like, why? Uh, I, I, the oil part of it, like, and the fact that it kind of opens you up to visions, very much so, like the third eye opening. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like, and the scarcity of it seems like a big problem. Like, why are they freaking out so much? Yeah. It must obviously do something that keeps something running. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the Magisterium to try to, like, seize it all, why would that happen? Well, I feel like we've seen a little bit of how it does some, like, acid-esque, <laughs> hallucinogenic kind of stuff. But um, I earlier, to track back to what Amy and I were chatting about with when Pullman maybe even thought of all this, 
I really do think that he has been planning this, at least in part, since the 90s. I think he's always seen part of this, because if we track back to chapter trepanning from The Subtle Knife, which we just covered, so it's very fresh in my mind, Mm -hmm. uh, when Lyra is talking to Mary Malone, and she reads the the alethiometer to her, three images come up, camel, garden, and moon. What it says, Lyra told her, it's saying in my language, right, the language of pictures, like the alethiometer, what it says is that it could use ordinary language, too, words, if you fixed it up like that. You could fix this so it puts words on the screen, but you need a lot of careful figuring with numbers. That was the compasses, see? And the lightning meant ambaric, I mean, electric power, more of that. And the angel, that's all about messages. There's things it wants to say. But when it went on to that second bit, It meant Asia, almost the farthest east, but not quite. I don't know what country that would be. China, maybe. And there's a way you have in that country of talking to dust. I mean, shadows, same as you got here and I got with the the pictures. Only their way uses sticks. I think it meant that picture on the door, but I don't understand it. I thought when I first saw it, there was something important about it, only I didn't know. So there must be lots of ways of talking to shadows. So Um, interesting. Wow. Yeah. I know, right? I, I was ready. I'm like, I'm going to blow y'all's mind. Ready. Uh, so this is The Subtle Knife. This is 97 publication. Uh, this is talking about the I Ching. We just talked about this in depth using the Yero sticks. Uh, this is really interesting that somehow it harkens back to China. And then in the lantern slides that as of 2007 were published with all of the new published books, um, each book has a set of lantern slides where they chat different snippets, chats, everything that Pullman kind of played around with and just left in as a as a note for us to enjoy. And there's one about our favorite Sir Charles Latram. Mm-hmm. I say that sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> Run him over with his goddamn Rolls Royce. Uh, eat the rich. Sir Charles Latram every morning applied two drops of a floral oil to the center of a large silk handkerchief, which he then bundled and tucked into his top pocket in a meticulous imitation of carefree elegance. He couldn't have named the oil. He'd stolen it from a bazaar in Damascus, but the Damascus of another world, where the flowers were bred for the flesh-like exuberance of their scent. As it developed throughout the day, the fragrance of the oil rotted like a medlar. Sir Charles would lean his head to the left and sniff appreciatively, perhaps too frankly for the comfort of most companions. So this is from the Subtle Knife's Lantern Slides as of 2007. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I still don't know what it means. it's been in there. (laughs) No, I mean, I don't really know what it means. But looking at, like, the religious connotations, uh, it does make me think of, like, frankincense and myrrh and, you know, all the different things they put in the the thingies. And I was was raised Catholic, but I'm recovering. Um, (laughs) But, the you know, when they, like, put the scents out and the incenses out during Mass, it makes me think of that. And it makes me think of how it's been, like, such a, a holy water for these people. And now that it's running out and the Magisterium seizing it, there has to be a reason because it has to activate something mm. or do something. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we'll have to see. This, this, one, this one has me stumped completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Well, I think that, especially once we get over to talking about the hotel in a few minutes, uh, I think that it's all wrapped up in those houses, in those mysteries. And... That doesn't really help, obviously, because those are also mysterious. But 
I think it's all going to come together, and I do think he has a long game, and I just don't effing know what it is. <laughs> but he obviously has been thinking about it for a while, right? Like, this isn't just something that he's just, well, some of it might be pulled out of his ass, but <laughs> I think he's trying to connect them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's heartening, at least, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> can, I, can I just say one one other quick thing that, like, it, it relates to what I was yeah. saying before about what I was trying to find in it, that so far, at least, it's less satisfying than the first trilogy because even even from northern lights you know that dust is this um highly important thing that the entire world cares about and is um somehow you know uh, linked very strongly to demons and growing up Uh, and you quite quickly at the end of the first book of the first trilogy understand that it's of universal importance to every conscious being it's you know critical Mm -hmm. and i do find it frustrating that while i'm looking for that in the rose oil it's not there's not enough that's drip fed to really Mm -hmm. get me interested i mean i'm curious but with dust you're like right i'm there let's go let's get this adventure (laughs) done whereas with the roses i'm just kind of "Hmm, strokey beard yes interesting well hmm Uh, there's not enough exposition provided as to why they're important to really captivate me like dust did in the first trilogy it's I think, not believable as the main concept of this trilogy mm, since it wasn't even introduced till sure. now. It's yeah. just not believable. I think that um, for Dust as well, the reason personally why I enjoyed learning about Dust so much is because we were learning it from Lyra's point of view as a child. And we were getting all of this information, like drip fed, um, as you mentioned, but through Lyra learning it from other people and like being our little scavenger Lyra, like trying to like put together all this meaning... And because she's a child, there's a level of innocence to it, to her trying to find out what's going on. And I think that with the rose oil, the reason why I wasn't that into it in this book is because, okay, so we do see Lyra when she's talking to her friend at the beginning of the book. They do talk about it a little bit, but most of what happens with it, Lyra's absent. So we've Mm. got everything going on with the rose oil. Um, and it's all very political and there's loads of different stuff happening but we're not learning it through Lyra anymore and I think that was the reason why I kind of uh, wasn't as into the, how it was uh, laid out for us in this book yep yeah. I guess that last book is going to have to do a lot of convincing a lot yes. of legwork I hope that that book is doing arm work. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be holding up the entire series <laughs> that is silly to think about though right like uh, everybody's pretty pissed about the last season of Game of Thrones, but uh, there's a lot of broad stroke themes that yes, like obviously it's going to be shitty writing any adaptation. Like not everybody's as lucky as we are that we did get a redo and we got this adaptation that's so thorough in the show. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I complained about and Eliana complained about, but it's a very great adaptation from book to show and season eight of game of thrones i mean that left a sour taste people who argued with me for years that the show was the best thing since sliced bread have now blocked me on social media like let me just put it out there like they're like fuck this show fuck this series i spent my life on game of thrones and i'm like okay but whose fault is that and like i tell me about it sister so have i but my god uh have a backbone here but uh, will this be like if this book doesn't tie up how do you think the fandom's gonna react to that yeah it's a pretty positive fandom i mean malcolm's bad yeah that's true <laughs> that's a taste of yeah. it that's a taste of it right there well we're close to getting to a cliffhanger but i did want to comment on what about princess Cantacuzino and of course of the girl that pan meets too what about all that that just got shoehorned into the end <laughs> yeah 
I, I, I finished it yesterday and I forgot. Like how? <laughs> like, it's just too for me. I said this earlier, but it was just too many characters. Mm. Like I did enjoy the princess as a character, and if she wasn't, and I agree with you that she was shoehorned in, if they'd have found a better way to get her in there, then fine. And also like Pan and the little girl, like it was just fine. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm just there was just too much for me going on anyway to kind of make room in my brain for for more people that I have to kind of get on board with and learn about. <laughs> yeah, and I think I guess to be fair, no Huda Al Wahabi, which is the the girl who Pan meets, who is like then demonless. Yeah. I think it was like a fairly neat introduction of her, but I think she was added fairly last minute because um. Uh, you you guys probably know the backstory of this, but like, basically, there was an auction to raise money for um, Grenfell Tower yes. victims, which is like a big uh, tower in a, um, a a big fire in a tower block in London, where loads of people died very tragically, and there was, it was kind of a big scandal in terms of it not being fit um, a fit building to be inhabited, and all sorts of horrible stuff, um, and uh, that character is actually named after one of the um, victims in the Grenfell Tower so I think he'd already written the book by that by that time so he kind of retrospectively inserted her name but then has a plan for her in the next book where she's going to be expanded more so I think I can see how as an author if you wanted to do something like that it'd be quite difficult to do that well given the kind of time constraints and when all of that was happening versus when he was needing to publish um so i'm kind of excited to see what's going to happen with that character but equally yeah it was a bit like okay so there's a random other person here now uh and i wonder if we're going to get much more of that in the next book anyway with the whole um i don't remember what the book's called but the book of addresses and the book of names and the book of stories basically about all of these people who don't have demons i feel like lyra's going to keep meeting loads of random people um, so I'm sort of buckling up for just meeting lots of characters that may or may not return. <laughs> um, I found the princess quite interesting though, in terms of, uh, what specifically happened with her demon, the idea that a demon could fall in love with someone that you're not in love with, but then also she was kind of in, grew to be in love with her. She didn't seem to, I think at first I thought, is it just because she's kind of closeting herself and she is actually in love with this woman, but she's not allowing herself to be in love with this woman. But then it doesn't seem to be the case because she seems to be quite happy with being um, reasonably out publicly and living with her and performing with her. Um, so it's very confusing, but like kind of a, a beautiful story in a weird way. I quite yeah, liked that part. That's kind of how I felt about it. It's like, this is a great short story. And now we'll go back <laughs> yeah, to the book. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And again, it kind of hawks to that point that I was saying earlier about how I really enjoy learning about like how demons and humans can interact and the different like taboos and laws around it and like seeing that her demon fell in love with somebody else i really loved that bit but i completely agree with you Ian. it was definitely a short story (laughs) it could have been a lantern slide maybe for the new ones yeah Yeah. that'd be good i also i also got the feeling a little bit like uh i don't know if any of you play computer games but she was a bit of an npc you just kind of have this random discussion (laughs) it's not related to leveling up your character or progressing but Cool. Uh, thanks, game developers, for putting this in there. There's just... so many NPCs in this in this book. Like that little black book of addresses are just all the NPCs. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the same a little bit with the alchemists. Uh, I, you know, in Prague, like maybe all this stuff comes back together, or maybe it's just a random series of events. <laughs> it does feel like a quest, right? Yeah. Like she has to go complete all the quests so that she can gain the knowledge she's looking yeah. for to survive this series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. 
Uh, I don't actually know what the point of her doing those things is. I just know it feels like she is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That might be my problem with it. I really don't know. Like, I guess the point of that is to show her, like, this is life can be lived without your demon, with not being in love with your demon anymore, uh, with not loving yourself. You can live a life full of self-loathing. And uh, it's supposed to be some sort of story to really show Lyra or help Lyra later, help her see, like, oh, maybe I need Pan, or maybe this is awful after all, and I can't live like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we didn't get that. We didn't get, like, a reaction about that. We just got her going, hmm, interesting conversation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And also, it did feel like him flexing. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And it was just too much. And I mean, I'm saying all this, and right now I'm thinking about, you guys, we didn't even fucking talk about the poem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So true. Feelings about it in a minute when we talk about it. Like, (laughs) so much. Um, In a way, this princess felt like an alternate world Lyra. Like, for her, kind of like, this is what you will become if you don't fix this. This is the ghost of demon past. (laughs) You know? And a fun fact that so the princess's name, Kenta Casino, that was a Romanian aristocratic family developed uh, out of a branch of the Byzantine Kenta Cousinos family, specifically from the emperor John VI Kenta Cousinos. Uh, so I thought that was a cool little reference. I'm always finding he's Aww. using something real world for anything, but yeah. I don't know if there's anything to be taken much from that. It was, again, a fun short story. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. those little plum and gems where you're like, oh, cool, that exists. No idea what to do with that information, yeah. but... Cool. <laughs> yeah, in four, in four years' time, when we get onto our chapter by chapter of this book, I'll I will get the research out then. Um, yeah, interesting. <laughs> we have our uh, our calendars full for like five years. <laughs> yeah, all of us, yeah. So. right. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm already seeing like, and then when we have Amy on for this episode, and then when we talk about it, we'll come back to this. <laughs> uh, then when we get Faye, when Rachel gets to finally read the yes. book, I mean, when Eliana gets to read the book. <laughs> We have so many possibilities, you guys. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, I don't really feel passionately about the poem right now. I do feel passionately about it, but I feel like that's like another hour-long discussion. Mm. I feel yeah, like there's I a agree. lot in the Hotel in the Red House. I think whatever the answer to the poem is, is going to be wrapped up in the Hotel in Red House. Yeah. Uh, we did get, especially from Strauss's notes, a lot of that information already. So I feel like there might be some foreshadow being played with mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. What do you guys think about the hotel and the red house? I like I like it as like a concept um, that there's another place. Uh, we kind of touched on it earlier where like harking a little bit back to the land of the dead where there's a place where just demons are instead of a place where just humans are. Um, I think that intriguing i don't think we've learned that much and also the fact that it has like so many different names <laughs> like threw me off so confusing so it's like yeah right so it's like okay yeah you're still talking about the blue hotel cool all right um but yeah i, I to be honest I, do, like, I don't have a ton to say about it I, i'm intrigued to see where it goes i'm excited to to kind of see what the sacrifice will be um i have a couple of thoughts on that but we'll get to that in when we think when we talk about what we think is going to happen in our predictions yeah i think this is one thing again there's a few of these that i'm confused by and haven't really properly thought about yet if that makes sense so um yeah, yeah i haven't really processed 
much of this yet. I have no idea what the sacrifice could be, so excited to hear your your theories, Faye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I also wonder if, if there's any kind of um, real-world basis for this, any kind of like folkloric traditions, or if it's fully fully from Pullman's imagination. I really don't know. I'm just excited to see what happens next, really. Yeah, I'm the same. I, if you read into hotel, okay, what does that mean? Temporary stopover while you're on a travel somewhere else. Maybe it's a place where demons who are separated from their humans go as a respite between the real world and the spirit world. Mm. Maybe as part of that, it's a gateway. Um, but I don't know. That would feel like a bit of a rehash of the whole world of the dead. Mm. So I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be averse to that kind of thing. Um, but yeah tricky uh we're not we're just not given enough it's it's a bit like the i feel like we're very down on this book i did enjoy it let's return to that but um yeah while it while it was good and it's intriguing there's almost just not enough given to be able to conjecture like this or feel really excited for book three because you're going to get an answer to a specific question Mm -hmm. it's just all open-ended and yeah yeah, the the blue hotel is another one i'm a bit um don't know really uh maybe a gateway <laughs> I do think there's something to be said about a portal of some sort because it feels like, uh, obviously, from the st- and everything that we read of like Strauss's notes is kind of informing this, mm-hmm. and so is the poem. I guess I feel like that's what we should read to inform mm. this. But I also feel like it's so much like comparative work. There's this line in the beginning, and I think it's Cillian Predictions. Faye and I seem to be aligned in a similar thought process. <laughs> but uh, there's this line that Strauss wrote in his journal that says, So we must investigate, and the inevitable consequence of that is that one of us must go in, and the other must return with the knowledge we have gained so far. There's no alternative, none, and we cannot do it. Uh, so it just seems like people that go in do not come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The demons don't come out. The souls are trapped. I don't know if there is a portal and they're going somewhere. Mm. Um, if the rose water is deliberately a part of it, I think the rose water probably is. It seems it's some mm-hmm. sort of potent magic. Uh, but the why is really still there. What's in the hotel? What's in the house? <laughs> like, I don't. Yeah. I do think Pullman drew the name from somewhere. I don't see much to really pull historically to give me any big answers, but. Uh, he calls it El Khan El Azraq, the Blue Hotel, and there is in Jordan a place called Qasr El Azraq called the Blue Fortress. It was surrounded by desert, but it had the only water for like hundreds of miles. Mm. And it's most famous for being where T.E. Lawrence held up 1917 to 1918 during the Arab revolt against the Turks. Oh, wow. And there are animal drawings and inscriptions and carvings at the gates, if you look carefully at the entrance gates. So... I'm guessing this is where he drew the name from. That's really cool. With the Blue Fortress. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I had no clue. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's literally Ella's Rack. Mm. Yeah. And if there are animal carvings around the gate, that could be a little uh, bit of inspiration for, you know, a portal for demons. Um, Mm -hmm. mm, Interesting. Good research. Yeah, great research. Yeah, great. we got to have a couple in here. Yeah. Uh, I just there has to be more. I just don't, uh, and I think it's really going to come down to the poem. I mean, there's the big tone of sacrifice in that poem that I think we're about to talk yes. about in the predictions. And I don't know. There's a lot to go through for this. There's, I think it's again like we've been saying for a second book. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if we'll change our minds on it when we've read the third one. Probably. I hope yeah. so. I hope so. I, I have still enjoyed it. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I did enjoy this book. Uh, we'll talk about our final thoughts later, but like, I did enjoy it. Yeah. I, I don't mean to harp on it, but it was a very different read. Very yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about that cliffhanger? Oh, what about it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I couldn't help. Uh, disappoint is the wrong word, but I just really wanted to see Lyra and Pan together again at the end. Um, and I, I, I kind of know that was too much to hurt for because we've got a third book coming, and there'll probably be other points that that happen. Uh, maybe even before we see them reunited, because mm-hmm. uh, we don't really know the gap in time that's going to be between the two books. We don't know if it's going to like start right from where they're back together in the hotel or whether it's going to jump ahead in time again. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm never the biggest fan of a cliffhanger because I want to know immediately. <laughs> so like, I, I think that like if the third book was in my hands right now and I'd started reading it, I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, what a great cliffhanger because I've got the answer in front yes. of me. <laughs> but, but with it being obviously in the word cliffhanger, I'm not going to have that for a while. So... Mm. Yeah, and I remember I was, like, getting... When I was, like, frantically trying to finish it, I was getting further and further towards the end, and, like, Lyra was getting closer and closer to the hotel, and I was, like, two pages, and I was like, oh, my God, they're not going to be reunited in this book. (laughs) Ah, And I was like, no, this can't happen. (laughs) And it did. (laughs) It's so painful. It's so painful. Yeah, I agree, but it's completely frustrating not knowing how long it is to wait. I think that makes it kind of a lot worse and a lot more frustrating in terms of um I was expecting maybe like three or four different threads to be opened up in this book and not completed. I wasn't expecting the like 157 that we've actually had or whatever, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever it actually is, you know. So um I'm completely with you. It's kind of like, ah, I have so much to process, but I have none of the tools to process it with because I don't even know what's going on. Um I think... Yeah, I'll I'll talk a bit about some of my predictions in a bit, but um, I know that Pullman loves a good cliffhanger, so I was expecting it, but oh, I'm so frustrated right now. <laughs> I really need the next the next book, basically. So yeah, yeah, I liked this this whole end of the book, the cliff cliffhanger yeah. side. Like yeah, it yeah, felt like returning almost back to the style of the previous books. So you know, Lyra's got this guide whose name escapes me. The camel dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, anyway, whatever. Um, and and you've got Bonneville with the rifle, and it's a little bit more plot-driven with a clear aim, clear goal, you know, two or three people being considered rather than 500. Uh, so I really liked the way the book ended, like the style of the book kind of almost came back around again mm-hmm. for maybe the final quarter or so. Um, I don't really mind the cliffhanger, because um, it almost felt like, <laughs> again, we, we've been maybe a bit too harsh on this book, but... It felt a bit like a relief of, okay, well, at least we're at the end of the book and something is left, you know, to be explored. So that's good. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, but as I kind of said before about the, uh, what does this rose water, uh, rose oil mean? Um, I'm intrigued, but not absolutely captivated. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's a cliffhanger, but with a little bit of a bitter edge to it because... Yeah, it's not a cliffhanger that just leaves me absolutely dying for the next book, but more like, okay, well, you know, when that comes along, I guess some of these things will be answered. Uh, yeah. Well, you know that, like, nothing bad's going to happen to Malcolm. Yeah. Right? Like, that's that's kind of the bummer of the cliffhangers. Yeah, it's... Ex- and I do like what you're saying, that we just returned home finally. Like, 
it's starting to feel like his dark materials again. La Belle Sauvage mm-hmm. was very weird, and I freaking loved it, but it was so strange. It was fantastical. It slowly became this crazy flood journey that got stopped by a trippy dream and then, you know, kept going, and then somehow Lyra ended up at Oxford and cool. But this feels like Pullman kind of pulling back and having us rationalize with logic, right? Like, with all of this, like, thinking and, like, oh, everything is as it seems – all of these little bits of uh, Ayn Randian bullshit that he peppered in <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah. It does feel very like, now we're going to use reason and logic. So by the end of this book, returning to like an action scene and like, no, Malcolm, no, Lyra, like felt good. It did feel good. It felt like we are back in the series. I feel like we're going somewhere now. I feel like it's got a lot to wrap up. Yeah. Just a lot to wrap up. Like there's so much to explain. And I really hope there's some underlying common denominator that we're just missing mm-hmm. and that we're going to feel so stupid about. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about some predictions and some final thoughts on the book. We have, uh, we've kind of made it so far in discussing this. I know we didn't get into the Tajik poem as much as I would have wanted to, but I just... I feel like that's going to take a team of goddamn <laughs> professional animals and like a magnifying glass to say, ah, so this means that Malcolm's going to kiss Lyra at this angle. And when she does, the dust is going to explode. <laughs> I just don't know. What do you guys think about predictions for the final book of Dust? I think that there are so many, as we've mentioned, there are so many different strands that it's kind of impossible to predict really much at all because literally anything can happen as we saw from La Belle Sauvage to The Secret Commonwealth I would never have guessed that it was going to jump like 20 years into the future so (laughs) who knows I think I do have like a couple of predictions for the sacrifice I I know you said Chloe that you think Malcolm will be okay but I think that he might die the hero so oh, I, I don't think I think he'll be okay when we open the book. I think yeah. that's the only way to do it is to kill him. It's yes. the only way for any of this to be okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I know that sounds dramatic because it is, but like there's no way that any of this makes sense without mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So I think that he's going to find Lyra cuz obviously he's already on pursuit of her anyway. Mm-hmm. And they're both going to go into the hotel together and he's going to be the sacrifice or will will be the sacrifice. Or something along those Boo. lines. No. <laughs> That'd be so <laughs> good. <laughs> Boo. How do I kick her off the Skype call? Does anyone I'm so know? Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is not something that I want because <laughs> I love Will. But I think that that's something that Pullman might do to us to bring Boo. Will back to then kill him. I, I know. Stop booing me. I don't want it to happen either. <laughs> But to that credit, I'm going to argue with you because how could he bring him back to kill him when he's going to be a doctor? Yeah. Well, he could be a doctor. He he could turn up and be like, hey, I'm a doctor, and then he dies. (laughs) (laughs) Will is a 21-year-old doctor? I don't know. I don't know about that. I see through your theory, Faye. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, And I would um, love to see Yorick again. Because uh, we're going to Central Asia. Um, yeah. And we know that that's where the bears ended up. If we see Yorick again, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> <laughs> I would be so excited for that. Um, I don't know in what way um, or how that would happen, but I would love to see Lyra and Yorick in- interact, if only for just one last time during the books. I would love that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that would be so good. Um, I don't have a lot of predictions at this stage. I have a kind of simple one in that, in the same way that um, the first trilogy was Lyra's book and the first and last word in the trilogy was Lyra, um, the first word in the single Commonwealth is pantalimon, just saying. So I think the last word Ooh. in Book of Dust, Volume 3, might be pantalimon. So good. Such a specific prediction. Specific. The final word yeah, will be pantalimon. <laughs> Honestly, as soon as But you I know how book. smug she's going to be if she's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watch how it's Malcolm. Oh, man. Oh, I'll be so angry. Um... Yeah, so that's like a very a very simple prediction. I also agree slash hope slash give my undying um, last breath to the fact that Yorick must appear again. Um, I yeah, <laughs> I would really like if they address some of that in terms of like um, emigration and uh, climate change and like people being forced to move basically and, and set up elsewhere i wonder if that's going to have affected um the witches as well because we know that their well-being is very tied to to nature so if there is ice melting in the north does that mean that the witches are also being displaced so basically i'm hoping that they'll go to the himalayas and it'll just be like lyra and yorick and the witches all hanging out having a good time Yay! i'm gonna be yeah. happy and it's gonna be great um and then the final prediction i'm gonna give is I'm very kind of intrigued by the quote-unquote men from the mountains and um, also the giant bird thing, which sounds badass, but no idea what that's going to be. But anyway, um, the men from the mountains, I have a feeling that's going to be some sneaky part of... Uh, I, can't, I really want to call him Marcus. Marcel Delamers. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Delaware. Marcus Delamers. Yeah. Um, Marcel Delamers plans to basically build some kind of crusade. Um, and I, don't, I can't quite decide if Marcel Delamers is going to be somehow puppeteering both sides of that crusade or only one side. But my feeling is that basically he's behind the men from the mountains and uh, he will be kind of pushing pushing base together and mm. forming some kind of holy war, basically. Cool. But, yeah. I'll pick up from that then. So, Malcolm's going to die. That's that's for sure. <laughs> despite, <laughs> Will's, d- despite Will's best endeavours to save him with his doctor powers. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I hope that Will... Uh, does travel through the spirit world via the Blue Hotel and ends up with Lyra in some sense. Um, that and they finally, be... they finally bang. They finally bang. And that's written oh in, <laughs> in like explicit <laughs> detail. Um... Lyra and Will did have sex that day. Full penetration, full stop. That's the final word. Oh my the... God. <laughs> <laughs> Not pantalimon. Um, it's penetration. Yep. Uh, yeah, I also, I like the idea of a kind of crusade holy war. I would like something on that kind of grander scale. It might be a bit of a rinse and repeat the amber spyglass, but I would embrace that. Um, so yeah, I, I hope some way a combination of Lyra, Will and Malcolm unlock um, the secret commonwealth or the spirit world and basically all kinds of spirit creatures come out and basically wage all hell war on the magisterium, magisterium and that's how it Falls, and that's how the Republic of Heaven gets built in Lyra's world. Oh, that would just be super dope. That would be good. Yes. Um, can I ask? Can I ask a quick question? What do you think is happening with the Delamers and like 
Marissa Coulter and all of that stuff. Do you think anything else is going to surface about Marissa Coulter's past and the Delamere as a family? Yeah, I hope so. I'd love to. I mean, Mrs. Coulter is one of my favourite characters, Mm. or if not my favourite character, so I would love to learn more about her. I think he has to uh, canonize her being separated from her demon, because I think Mm. it's very obvious she is, and there's stuff in Northern Lights that really speaks to it, there's stuff in Subtle Knife that speaks to it, and then the show obviously kind of declared it as a show canon thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that that might come out in the next book. I think it has to. Yeah, I also loved the idea um, that at some point the collectors will make sense as a short story, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not sure if that's possible from a storytelling point of view, because I don't know how you make that story make sense, because it's so confusing. (laughs) But maybe Marissa Coulter time travels, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. What if we find out she's not dead? That's what I was wondering. Oh my fucking god, what if? Don't play with what me like if? that. So oh my good. god, what if she didn't die and Azriel did? Thank god. Oh god. What? <laughs> yeah, because Azriel had a head wound, didn't he? So he would he would probably die, but she would just be like falling eternally, so therefore not technically dead. What? I mean, no one can kill that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she just eats his dead body. <laughs> It's a sign of respect for your friend, okay, Ian? <laughs> Just ask Yorick. Great reference. <laughs> I do think we're going to see Yorick. I'm like really convinced now because when yeah. he speaks to Will before they go, he says, Will says, so you're not making war. And Yorick's like, our old enemies vanish with the seals and the walruses. If we meet new ones, we know how to fight. <sighs> they're in the mountains in Central Asia, you guys. Yeah. 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 They're, they're going to show up. I mean, that's like Chekhov's bear gang. For sure. <laughs> just put a bear gang out there without, like, they have to happen. That is a right there, straight up Chekhov's. It's going to go off at some point. So I love the idea of the witches. I totally didn't think about that. But then I was sitting here and I was like, we can't not see Serafina Pecola. No. Like, right. Mm. That's illegal. That's illegal. <laughs> so I just had a massive reaction and Ian's staring at me like I'm a crazy person. But like either Bear V Bird or Bears, Birds and Witches all fighting together. I can't decide if the big bird mm. is evil or not. <laughs> but Bear V I Bird, got be good. Bird. Gotta be good, right? It's Secret Commonwealth, right? So, like, Bear Bird, Bear Bird Witch battle thing. Mm. Oh, oh, it's gonna be so good. Oh, yeah. Well, the implications (laughs) are then, if this is really about that Secret Commonwealth, then all of these peoples will rise up against this oppression, you know, and Lyra Mm. will lead this absolutely last war. And I do think, like, that left it open, that line in Amber Spyglass leaves it open that if they meet new enemies, we know how to fight. Well, yes, mm. Le Maison Just is not a really a new enemy. It's the same goddamn enemy with a new fucking puppet <laughs> at the head. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like, and we don't know. Maybe Marcus Delaware might end up being, like, switch sides at the end. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still room for that. He might, like, be like, oh, the memory of my sister, I must protect that or some shit. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> error of his ways like lyra holds up a fucking cross and is like repent sinner (laughs) that's what i want to see next book i do want to pull out a line that so eliana brought this up in our discussion uh if you guys have listened at all we keep our spoilers at the end and i get to Mm. monologue like an evil villain because she still has not finished this damn book Mm. and i like just talk to myself and hope it sounds good and hope everyone likes it but the other day Eliana, in our discussion, this is the first time she's gotten to participate in the LaBelle Sauvage discussion, and she was reading this quote that Malcolm talks about, and she was talking about it with relativity and a bunch of other stuff and some uh, philosophical stuff, but she read Malcolm talking to Hannah and saying, the connection would be here in our minds, but not there. 
if we can think about that other world, we could see a connection, even if there was no one there to see it. Mm. And when she read that, my wheels just went holy shit and started turning. And now I'm about to disappoint you guys with, I think we will see Will, but he won't see us. Oh, that would be devastating. Mm. But I think it's important. So to tie you all back into this theory, I've peppered you with little thoughts through the episode that I'm now going to bring up. (laughs) (laughs) So excited because I can't tell her this, you guys, and I'm screaming. Like, I'm just straight up sitting here internally just going, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So the whole idea of Malcolm and Pan, like, being in love with Asta and Malcolm and Lyra refusing to be open to Malcolm in general. Mm -hmm. Yes, gross, creepy. We've moved on. But (laughs) she refuses to, like, let herself love. She refuses to be vulnerable. We see it with Dick. We see it with Malcolm. Um, And Pan, obviously, is open to love. Like, this this kid's out there looking right now. He's like, who wants to be my new human? You know, like, he's out there. Uh, he just wants to fix Lyra, but at the same time, you can't move on through life with that isolation that Lyra mm-hmm. keeps doing to herself. So I think in order to get over Will, she will have to see him one last time, and she probably will have the choice to be able to bring him there, almost like the uh, the stone in Harry Potter, right? Ooh. Yeah, the resurrection yeah. stone. Like, this is her chance. Like, she could... I think this quote very much so had to do with the same thing, because she sees... Olivier Bonneville, right? And she thinks it's Will in that dream. And yeah. all of these weird like ways of reading the alethiometer and the new ways. I'm wondering if the Rosewater is going to be the key to her being able to read the alethiometer with the way that the angels spoke about, the ancient way. And she'll be able to see Will. And she will choose not to utilize that for bad. And she will choose to let him go on and live his life. And she will move on with her life. And Malcolm will most likely sacrifice himself and be the sacrifice in that Tajik because, thank God, at least Pullman can just let him die a hero because that's what he wants. <laughs> but I think that Malcolm will die for that and Lyra will understand like that you can let yourself love and you can let yourself move on even when you're hurt and let people back in. And I think that's going to be seeing Will and like Malcolm dying. I think all of that is going to be what lets her move on. That's beautiful. And then, can you just yeah, write that? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, can yeah. you write it? Um, if you want, I'll have Secret Commonwealth Part 2 done by next week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of just the feeling I'm getting. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's valid. And I, all I want at the end as well is if that happens, which I think it, there's potential for it definitely to happen, mm. is for then Lyra to learn that she can love again and then go home and, you know, just bang dick again because they love doing that. <laughs> I think, I honestly, I don't think you're wrong. I think it could. And if she did go back to Dick, like, she acted like, you know, she didn't have time for him. But the way he looked at her and the way he offered her support and help, yeah. even though she's mistreated him in the way of, like, he's just a fuck buddy, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, he's that's her side guy. Like, I don't know. She's obviously very much so ignored him. And, like, he has more feelings than just banging, you know, on the side. Yeah. He obviously likes her. He gave her his grandpa's address. It was like, go hang out with my grandpa. He'll take care of you. Yeah. I think that's an important thing that to yeah. have a partner supportive like that. And he would take her back if she came to him and was like, I want to date you for real. He would go, fucking finally. Oh, my God. I've been in love with this girl for like 12 years. Yeah. Since she threw freaking mud at me in the yard. Like, um, and I think maybe she will give him a chance. Maybe that's how it will end. It won't end with her uh, like hate fucking Olivier and we'll end with having beautiful virginity losing sex together you know for the first time both of them um but I'm just kidding uh but it won't it won't end with that it just might end with hope 
Yeah. Right. It might end with her having hope towards trying to let someone get close to her again because the separation from Pan followed by the separation from Will is like two huge cuts, Mm. two very big cuts. And she spent so long and so much time saving the universe that she never came to grieve for losing her family Mm. that she never knew she even had, even if they were evil, from losing the people that were closest to her that encouraged her. Um, from age, taking people like John Foss, she's never gotten the chance to grieve ever mm-hmm. in her life. Mm-hmm. She's just Very gone true. on. So Very true. I hope we see a lot of that. I think as a final note for me, that's what I want to see out of the next book is see Lyra get to cope and get to grow up from that pain and get to leave that pain in the past and learn from it and get to be a full-fledged scholar and do good always like she does. Yeah. Definitely. Be a perfect ending. 100% agree. <laughs> well, what do you guys think about your final thoughts on The Secret Commonwealth? I didn't love it. I think it might be out of the books that we have uh, in the series from Pullman. I think it's my least favourite. But then, like I said, that might change when we get the last book. It That's happened to me before <laughs> where I've, I've disliked a middle book in a, in a in a series and then I've had the context of reading the final books and thought, oh, actually, mm-hmm. I like that a lot. So I'm hoping that's going to happen. Um, yeah, there was too many. There were too many characters for me, uh, but I did love um, Lyra and Pan and their relationship and how heartbreaking it, it was. I do kind of commend Pullman for doing that because he could have easily put us back into a world where everything was fine with Lyra and Pan and then something else happened and they had to tackle it together but mm-hmm. to pull them apart I think was very clever and I did love that but yeah I'm hoping in the last book that it'll tie as much as it can together and then give us the closure that we want and then I think when that happens maybe I'll, I'll go back and read this book again to see if I feel differently mm-hmm. you'll forgive him <laughs> potentially <laughs> <laughs> yeah I absolutely agree I think it is a classic difficult um middle book i really hope that we come to love and appreciate it but i think you need that kind of hopeless middle section where a lot of it's being driven and a lot of what's going to be concluded in the final book has to be set up um i also think that we do we do get like led down a lot of different paths i think it would have been nicer to be honest to have um, fewer narratives going on at the same time or maybe fewer different perspectives though I also contradictorily quite like that we get to be in Malcolm's head we get to be in Marcel Delamere's head we get to be in Olivia Bonneville's head we get to be in Lyra's head we get to be in Pan's head but even just listing that it's like that's that's already a lot um, so I can see why it feels disjointed um, I also think uh, the number of NPCs is problematic um, you know uh, Philip Pullman does say that he likes to read like a butterfly and write like a bee, but I think maybe he's like, read... Hang on, let me work out how to say this. <laughs> Written like a butterfly. Read like an RPG? Write like a bee? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's something there's something <laughs> going on there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm hoping that the third book feels more comfortable and, um, yeah, gets concluded, but also I really respect that he's made that challenging for us basically as readers because i've also ultimately found it a very rewarding book to read yeah uh yeah i won't repeat everything i agree basically uh (laughs) yeah too slightly too convoluted and i want him to get away from the lsd trips 
uh, the Belter version, Secret Commonwealth, just had slightly too much of this like wacky um, myth world fairy where you're not even certain what's happening or if it's real. I um, enjoy those bits the I most. don't know. I'd like a little bit more of, okay, we know what's fucking happening. Bears fighting, you know, armored horses <laughs> with nets, that kind of... We, let's, let's get back. <laughs> let's get back to the good old days of the Amber Spyglass. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 was, it was a book. I, I read it. I would give it a six out of ten. <laughs> it, it's fine. Um, but I agree with Faye that it was uh, probably my least favorite of the books he's written so far. Mm-hmm. I'm just hopeful for the final one because I think there's a lot of potential. Um, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful, but there's there's a lot of work for him to do. Uh, but he must be aware of that. So, yeah. yeah, I'm sort of optimistic, I would say, for the last book. Yeah, I think the fact that he's introduced a lot of these themes very subtly, so to speak, and peppered them in, help uh just even reading like the lantern slides made me feel a little more confident so i think mm-hmm. there's really something for that yeah. fingers crossed that this this last book but again like you're saying the last book shouldn't have to make the second book good the second book should be good and then you should read the last book and be like wow what a great trilogy mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> yeah i trust you philip <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> trust i'm just gonna trust and <laughs> hope that it comes out well yes so we'll see well thank you guys so much for joining me today i was gonna say us but here i am (laughs) single alone thank you for having us it's been great this has been so fun yeah excellent really good to talk to you definitely yeah thank you for organizing let's do this more yes Yes. 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 absolutely well we will all hear from each other soon hopefully we'll jump on with each other on other episodes and We'll have to do a post-mortem when the next book comes out. I'm sure there will be a nice group DM of all of us going, oh my God, I can't believe that you were wrong and that Malcolm and Lyra are married with 18 children and they all have Pine Martin demons. So let's hope not for that outcome. Uh, Faye, please tell us where we can find her dark materials again so that we can make sure everybody checks you guys out. Sure. So we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at HDMPod. Uh, as I said at the top, I'm usually joined by my partner in crime and other half, Rach. Um, she wanted for me to say hi to you all, um, and she's sorry that she can't be here. But yeah, you can find us um, doing lots of tweets and Instagram stories and stuff over there. And if you want to subscribe to our Patreon, you can at patreon.com forward slash HDMPod. Thank you. Yes, make sure you subscribe and check out some of the awesome art that Rach's been doing. I I am very impressed with it. Uh, Ian, Amy, please tell us where we can find you guys on the internet. Yeah, sure. So we're on Twitter at Dark Material Pods and Instagram and Facebook at the Dark Material Podcast. Um, our Patreon is patreon.com slash darkmaterialpodcast. Uh, and we put all sorts of stuff on all of those various bits and pieces um, including some of Amy's Amy's artwork as well. Um, we also have our own website, uh, darkmaterialpodcast.com, uh, so you can find us anywhere there. If anyone wants to email us directly as well, um, we're at the darkmaterialpodcast at gmail.com, so anyone who desperately wants to tell us how wrong we are, <laughs> uh, please feel free to, to get in touch. Um, yeah. Ooh, I'm just going to jump in off the back of Ian and, and say the exact same thing. I would love to, well, I, I couldn't speak for myself because Rach hasn't read the book, so I'll probably have to hide the emails from her <laughs> when he comes through. But you can email us too at her.materialspod at gmail.com. I would love to know your thoughts. 
Absolutely. And all of our fans do know that uh, if they do email you, they will be on their best behavior. Because <laughs> <laughs> Warren, low, I'm looking at you too. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we have some awesome fans, especially patrons and friends here that keep sending us great emails with some great critical thinking questions that keep me sharp. sharp. So shout out to them. Uh, as always, you guys, this has been Chloe with Girls Gone Canon. Eliana could not join us. She is on a two-week off uh, podcast binge from us. So she is out and exploring. Hopefully she finds her demon while she's gone. You can find us on your favorite podcast streaming platform like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher. Be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where $5 and up members get a new special His Dark Materials episode every other month, and A Song of Ice and Fire gets an episode every other other month. Bye, guys. Thanks so much again for joining us. <laughs>